Good day, good night, good morning, good, a good afternoon, and good day, and welcome to another exciting episode of The Reels Tennis Fans. We are live and direct. Let me see if there are folks in our group ready to go. Pablo says bonsoir. <laughs> Hello, ladies and gents. We have another man with reels today this is exciting reels don't usually get men company the ladies say that i am out of control so usually <laughs> i'm not allowed to have men company okay but before i go any further let me introduce my co-host of the mostesses and also my guest our guest rather we have andrine from foreign ohio how are you doing andrine is not from foreign ohio Oh my God, I'm not even drinking. I am not even drinking. Let me do that all over again. I mean, oh Jesus. I'm sorry. I watched the men's final. I don't know what possessed me. <laughs> I might be lacking some kind of sleep. Fair. We have Andrine from Soli Tennis Travel. How are you doing, girl? I'm very good. I'm very good. I'm sorry. I know the first place you're going to visit when you're allowed to get back on plane, when you feel safe enough, will not be Ohio. So I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Absolutely. Because what we know for sure is that Ohio will not be safe. It will still not be safe. Y'all be doing some fuck real over there, Janine. And don't lie. Y'all know y'all. <laughs> you know y'all be doing something like, we're having a maskless party. Like something to greet you at the airport. Something. So... <laughs> <laughs> well, we gotta drive in there to cover at night. And Janina from Far and Ohio, how are you doing? I'm okay. How are you? I'm cold and cranky today. I am, or you are? I am. Oh, okay. But you know, you're vaccinated, so we don't want to hear anything. You this can go outside true. and play. <laughs> you can I, go outside can. and play. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Yvette. Hey, Deb. Hey, Tony. And everyone else who will be strolling in at some point. And we have Pablo from Live and Direct from Jolly Own London. How Good afternoon, doing? brethren. Good evening for you. <laughs> Rails, pull, your, pull yourself together. I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm sorry. I was about to say, you know, I've been just Janine asking Pablo. had the job. But... <laughs> <laughs> Have done that we've had three majors since the lockdown. You think Wimbledon is jealous? Are they thinking about <laughs> yes. having an insurance clicking again for this year? Uh, I'm not sure they can renew the, um, the, the insurance coverage that they had, which was a pretty a much unique. Yeah, uh, no, no, just, no, it wasn't a sweet. Actually, it ended up being a sweetheart deal, but um, it was a unique policy and um, they will have problems replacing it or everyone's it. having every pandemic insurance is like gold uh, yeah now. everybody yeah everybody's buying it and of course the rates the insurance rates gone. have gone through the roof yeah literally well i don't want them to cancel because really at this point this is going to be the only legitimate slam we have going for ourselves i mean sorry <laughs> I, <struggle. laughs> I i'm worried that they were going to have to cancel i don't think so feels like what feels like months ago months months away for us all to Get used to mm -hmm. a couple more dead bodies, right? Isn't that what we're trying? Oh my to goodness, do? that's what we're doing, yeah. honey. We're playing tennis during yeah. the pandemic. 
but they run like a they run yeah. it like a military operation and you would think by now players would have been given an idea of what's happening about quarantine and stuff like that i mean we don't even i'm in london at the moment and we don't mm -hmm. have a fucking clue what's going on when lockdown will be lifted uh and wimbledon falls within the london boroughs and it's yeah. going to be subject to the strictest lockdown and um i uh, i even though it's a few months away i'm concerned february march april may june it's like what five yeah, months end of, end of june yeah okay we'll see will the countdown well, begin? actually that's four months yeah end of june mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i hope it takes place because serena's running out of time but <laughs> <laughs> Somehow I think you people who, who are on this clock with Serena, I think y'all need two more majors because I don't think 24 would satisfy you folks. <laughs> y'all gonna wanna go over the barrier. Like, well, can I tell you though, somebody was right away like, oh, Naomi can definitely get 24. I was like, bitches, she's at four. Give her some breathing room. Oh, wow. <laughs> Man, that's and, a lot to throw on somebody. Right and, away. And uh, I don't I'm, think people, people realize that those who have made it this far, right, like to get the amount that they have to put in, even though, you know, like, I guess Federer and the big three, Nole and Rafa has somewhat made it easy. I don't think they realize how hard it is. I mean, Rafa has had to win the French Open 13 times to clear out like <laughs> a sizable portion of that. And to be that good and consistent for so many year in year out, you know what I mean? Because they won't log in for a year. You know, no one's doing I, I, that. Yeah. And also, if you take Serena, you take Fed, you take Rafa, you take Novak. They've all won on all surfaces. And right. Naomi hasn't won on clay, hasn't got close on clay, and hasn't got close on grass. So, so um, if she's going to get to 24, and the only reason she should get to 24 is because Serena ends up with 23. We've got to kill this stupid, ignorant conversation about Margaret Court. I, I During the Australian Open, I went back and I looked at Margaret Court's drawers. I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, not her drawers. We don't appreciate that. She doesn't like her, like her bloomers. We but understand. There's just, there is no comparison. You're playing 32 rounds, uh, 32 players in the draw, and most of them are your compatriots compatriots who play at your tennis club mm -hmm. it's ludicrous to compare i it's i think it's ludicrous to compare her with chrissy and martina as well but that's another conversation maybe for another day sorry yeah just, it's fine so let's let's start up let's start us off we sort of jumped in it but let's get right into week two um and the the matchup the matchup of all matchup Serena versus Osaka. Let's get into it. I felt really good about it going in. Mm -hmm. I did. Because um, Serena, up until that match, has was looking better in all aspects than we've seen her look in a really, really long time. Fitness, movement, serving, all of it. She looked really, really good. And I just thought it was going to be a matter of who controlled this moment the best. Um, I was hoping that we would see both of them play their best tennis at the same time. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. And I think it was a direct result of nerves and emotion and the pressure of the moment again. Real. I don't know about all of that 
I mean, there is something to say about that because, you know, to a certain extent, pressure of the moment aspect. Because, as you know, I have tracked that Serena sort of get lost mentally, I guess, in her way, particularly, and I could this can date back to 2011, um, where she gets in these lopsided matches, particular big, important matches. Um, we saw that also in 2016, I think, when she went to the US Open and lost, like, poorly to um, Pliskova. And she just, I, I don't know what it is. I think only she alone can sort of speak to the moment. I don't know if it's actually a part of it is actually technical. I don't know because Osaka is a solid, Osaka is Serena. But I, I, I in a certain extent, let me qualify that before the Serena stands, get in my face. Um, Serena is 39 and I have watched tennis before 2011. So I know how history works. And Serena... I don't want to say borrowed time. You know, I have lived through, you know, disappointment of Michelle Kwan and Dominic Dawes. So this kind of thing, you know, Venus Williams, Pete Sampras. I mean, remember Pete Sampras got to the U.S. Open for three straight years and lost two finals? I mean, Pete Sampras showed up in the, I think it's 2001 U.S. Open um, and didn't drop a, didn't lose serve. And then the first service game, boom, snatched it. Murat Safin was like, fuck you. I'm thinking shit. So, you know, players, you know, great players, they, you know, because they're the hunted. I mean, like, they're the one everyone's looking up to. They're the one who everyone is going to. And so I, this loss is not emotional for me at all. Serena is 39 and she's playing top level tennis. Mm -hmm. So I didn't think, I thought that it would have been a more competitive match somewhat. Um, I didn't suspect that she was going to necessarily take it because I think Osaka is. I think Osaka has this other mindset of like rootless, and I don't, and I didn't think she, from the beginning, I imagine she didn't want to lose. Like, you know, she was, she came here for the title. She didn't come here for second place. She didn't come here for a plate. She came here for that cup. And Serena was in her way, and she didn't have a problem. In fact, I kind of know that Osaka was even studying Serena at that um, exhibition. I was like, girl, you are, you're taking notes. I could see it in your face. You're taking notes. And Serena wasn't ready. She wasn't ready at all. But I don't know if this is a technical or perhaps this is just, you know, these are the signs of the time, you know, like Serena is winding down as a, as a great champion, as for some people, the greatest champion. I don't like to get into GOAT debates because I think none of this is relevant. I just appreciate the athletes for the things that they have done and let that be that because records are meant to be broken. Someone will come along and get 28, mm-hmm. you know, and all of that stuff. So I don't, it's not emotional for me. For a lot of people. Pablo? And I guess we'll get a conversation later on about that. Pablo, as our, as our, as the living embodiment of the Serena stand, don't let Tony and Bree down, okay? Also, hey. also from the technical standpoint, because I think Pablo, Pablo made a strong case in episode one about technically where Serena was and where she wasn't. Mm-hmm. So let's bring it, Pablo. Okay, let's start with that. Where is her muscle memory? She's been doing this for 20 plus years. And I think what used to be when she was off, she could still win because her B game was her fitness and her movement. And she may be hitting more unforced errors, but she would be able to close out matches. She has just gets to these phases and stages of slam 
semis or slam finals or whatever. And her muscle memory goes, she forgets what she's doing. And all of the hard work that she's obviously done in the off season and the way she's changed her game as a receiver, it all paid off. You see how she was able to neutralize uh, Sabalenka. Uh, the way she was able to neutralize Halep as well. I mean, it, it, it's all, it, it was all working. The other thing is, I think this is the fittest I've seen Serena for some time. Um, mm-hmm. She looked good. And obviously she had to because she had that bodysuit on. And it was, it, I, I didn't like it in the beginning. And then I loved it in the end. But uh, the problem is that when she looks across the net at somebody like Naomi, it's, she's kind of looking backwards in the mirror. She sees somebody who has copied aspects of her game, pulled her tennis life together in much the same way that that Serena and Venus did. And I think there's a very important thing here that, that I notice every single time. Naomi never has a bad word to say about Serena. Um, and that's not always true of all of the players and all has been in, in the past. And Serena is unable to develop any animus, you know, any kind of um, hate, it's a horrible expression, hate factor. You know, you would see her at the net at the start of a match and you could see the look on her face and it was, I'm going to beat every one of these bitches and win this. And she doesn't have that hostility on court or that animus in the, to the degree that she used to have. You could see how sometimes she would get riled when her opponents hit really good shot and she'd say, right, I'm going to take you out. And she'd bang down two aces or whatever. So I I think it's difficult for many reasons. She's a different person now than she was, say, 10 years ago. But I think a lot leaves her and she has great difficulty getting it back. And I think it can go two ways. It can either go to your head or it can go to your body or it can do both. And I think Serena has more more issues in her body than she does in her head, actually. And I think this is where her move, uh, it just freezes her movement. It slows her down a fraction of a second. And, I mean, and when, when that happens, if I just finish this little bit, mm-hmm. when that happens, the unforced error counts go up and up and up, and the first serve goes down and down and down. Now, Serena's first serve percentage for the match was 46 now, the last time she had that kind of figure was against Andrescu at the US Open. Her serve was, what, 44% in a, in a sort of slam semi or a slam final. And that's it. I think Olu tweeted during the match that it all starts with the serve. It, it really does. And you just see a breakdown at the bodily level. And she, she, that fraction of a second she loses, Naomi picks it up. Also not the same Serena that we encounter. I mean, that's the thing, I think, to Janina's point earlier. I was really expecting a battle. Mm-hmm. and Yeah, me too. And I expected yeah, Serena to pull it off. Sorry, Andrea. Not even to pull it off. I just expect, I, I mean, because I said last week that I thought Osaka was going to win. But I just expected sort of like a battle royale and I wanted three sets and I wanted it to be all out there. And I have to suspect that that's one of the reasons why Serena has got to be a bit disappointed because she didn't actually, she wasn't really present in that game. Like you can't serve in the 40s against someone like Osaka. 
Like, it's just like, you're not going to be able to do it. Right. And I felt like Osaka had so much time, mm -hmm. so much time. I felt like she could direct yeah. that wherever she wanted to at any point in time. Like I had that weird feeling that I do when I watch some no way matches where it just feels like it's entirely on his racket at every yeah. time. And that's how it felt with Osaka. And to be honest, both of the games that Serena broke her, Serena, Osaka broke herself, mm -hmm. right? It was like, it was her nerves. It was her, it was like, in, and that four all game when Serena broke back in the second, it was kind of like, Osaka was like, oh, this is the point where she's going to come. I anticipate it. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> she was like, um, no, I am not allowing you to get any sort of rhythm. But I mean, I wanted to say that, you know, I think that people are not giving Serena enough grace. I mean, she is, I don't want to put with age factor, but you know, like this 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 match reminded me when Serena played uh Martina Hingis, I think 2001, the semifinal, I think it was. Serena didn't um I don't think Serena hit a second serve. No double fault. It's like it was switching off the, 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 the it's a switch, you know, like someone like this is the I don't want to say the culmination, but to me, I just think this is what happens. You know, sometimes the older player, as good as they are, I mean, Serena is going to, I mean, Serena cannot rely on old Serena to win these matches anymore. She's going to have to be here and then some. It's and then your body, I'm sorry? Scrabble tennis. You're going to have to scrabble. <laughs> right. And then sometimes your body may not respond. And I mean, I say, yeah, yeah but hang she's on. Learn. She, she, she learned from she's Venus. Playing, but, but, but she's playing better now than she was since she came back. So she's actually right, improved. But, right, but that's, that's not good enough, clearly. It's well, not she's well, improved, no, no, so, I, so have the others. So have the others. Well, have, yeah, but the, the things that the that they are intangibles that are missing, that killer instinct, that um, desire to just to, to destroy the opponent that she used to have. Mm -hmm. Very, You feel it strongly. You don't see that there anymore. Andreen, you said something really absolutely the essence of Serena. 95% of her matches are on her racket, and she decides. There's very few matches that are not. One of them was the semi-final against Naomi. Another one I can think is maybe the US Open final against uh, Andreescu. And do you remember when Muguruza knocked her out of the French Open in like the second round? Yeah, she completely well. took the racket out of Serena's hand. So very few matches where the opponent dominates and dictates the play. 95% of the time it's it's on Serena's racket. But but I think I just want to say that this alleged this killer instinct that you mentioned, maybe that might be a thing, but I mean like Serena has a killer instinct against her sister. <laughs> I mean like she has a killer. Whoa. I mean like she's she called like, call that girl a bitch across the net. I mean like and Venus But is, she also knows how her <laughs> sister will respond. She's right. not playing Venus, right? Okay, Venus. That's a fair point. Yeah. I, I don't know because Venus never rises to the occasion except that 2008 yeah, final. Yeah, yeah, yeah look, exactly. Look, look, there is, it's not, it's, it's no secret. There is a lot of animosity between Serena and Maria. And look what Serena does to her on the court. But Maria she doesn't have her. that game. As a, but, but Maria game isn't anywhere close to Serena's level, though. Or even I mean, a soccer level. Like, so I think, level. Yeah, like I think to your point, and Janina, I know Janina wants to say something. I think to your point, Pablo, 
the question is how much can animus get you when the person's game is excellent on the yeah, other exactly side? yes yeah uh, and when you it isn't on your racket you're absolutely right yeah yeah it's a tricky thing right but janina you were trying to say well i i agree with everything that pablo said as far as you know serena having slowed down my biggest disappointment with this match was that we did not see the Serena that we saw all tournament. Exactly. And I yep. don't think that was Osaka taking things away from her. It just wasn't there, which is why I still think that so much of this is mental. I just, I, she had her moments. Um, I don't think she she's fitter than we have seen her in years. Yep. So this was not an issue of I've had to play seven, you know, this is six matches into hopefully seven and win. And I'm tired. She didn't look tired. She didn't look tired at all. She was nervous and it mm -hmm. showed it yep. showed. So I really think that, I mean, we do have to appreciate what we have right now, what we're seeing. She is still, bad ass for sure she's she's doing stuff now that other girls wished that they could do and you know we we have to appreciate that i appreciate that but i just need her and want for her so bad to figure out what is going on in her head recently when she gets so close and she crumbles but can I ask you all a question? Because this is the thing that, uh, because I hear people say they want it for Serena. I think it sounds to me, I get the impression that people want it for themselves. No, I want it because I am a fan and I've been a fan since I was a little girl. Of course I want her to do well. But if she Serena never wins another major in her life, I'm mm -hmm. fine with that. But every time she steps on court, I genuinely want her to win. And also she wants it for herself. Let's be honest now. We're okay. in the middle we're in the middle of a pandemic. Okay. And she flew her entire family miles to go there and get this. This isn't something that we want more than Serena. That's okay. what I, I have to really stop that part of it. Like, this is obviously something that she's hungry for. And I mean, I think to Howard, to Howard's point, I mean, this is also, you know, I think uh, if you all saw what Howard said, like, this is a, this is a particular point in this athlete's career when it's not on her racket anymore. Lots of athletes get here, right? It's something mm -hmm. else, which is the, to your point, Janina, this is about nerves. It's about being not as great as the person across from you, but still eking it out. I mean, this is the Scrabble period of Serena's career, probably, mm -hmm. in a way that we haven't sort of seen. Something, a she, doesn't know. she doesn't know how to respond to this moment because Clearly. she's had an extended long period of domination. Mm -hmm. Um, through injuries, you know, long periods out, you know, acting, you know, you know, injury, family trauma, et cetera. And she came back and she came back good, better than everyone else. The toe had moved on, but clearly they were nowhere close to her level. So maybe, you know, as, you know, to Pablo and Janina's point, you know, they're saying she's really good. She's fit, et cetera, et cetera. But that doesn't seem to be good enough anymore. Not now. She, she, yeah, she. I, I, there was a point in the match that for me, I, after that point, I knew that it wasn't going to be her day. She had a point for three love, and mm. she, I think, she, she netted yep. it. Yep, you know, Serena 10 years ago would have been on top of that and killed yep. it. I and, felt the same way in that moment. I was and, like, this is and, it, and she's that, gonna lose exactly. And I thought, oh, here we go. Yep, and it's. It's just something, yeah. it's, and but that remember the margins are tiny. 
very tiny. They really are. And it's it needs some sort of supernatural power to lift herself out of this. Uh, can I just say one thing about her press conference? I don't know if we're going to yeah. um, talk about it. I'm delighted that she broke down. She realized what had happened and she had a cry and she got out of there. I'm fed up of her retaining in her body all of the negativity and her trying to say, uh, like when, when Pliss, uh, Pliskova beat her at the Australian Open because she twisted her ankle after that, you remember the, the mm -hmm. football that was called, and she wouldn't say, I, I was injured, I couldn't move, I lost the next eight points. She couldn't bring herself to say that. Fucking say it girl you know and get it out <laughs> and let it go and i'm glad she had a little she was teary at the end of that good for her i hope she has a very big cry now and picks herself up and gets on with it so because she she cry. retains too much in the body well speaking of the cry i think two things came out of that match that i want us to get to um, the Serena retirement chatter, which by the way, it's only for anyone who's new to tennis because anytime anyone who's a fave <laughs> doesn't win matches, they want you to retire. So, yeah. oh, no, 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 I, I have to, I have to cut you off and disagree there. Cause okay, well, we, could, we could go to that. And then also, um, the claims around how, Seri um, how Chrissy talked about, um, call that match. So retirement chatter, y'all, what do y'all think? When Serena was leaving court. And she stopped and she paused and she looked. My mind went directly to Andy Rod uh, Roddick's last Wimbledon before mm -hmm. he said, I'm done. And I, and I literally said, oh, shit, what was that? She's done. That's exactly where my mind went. And I'm okay with that. I don't think that means that we're going to get an announcement um, anytime soon. I just think that maybe that was let me soak this in a moment. I'm not sure that I'm coming back here. And that's fine, but that's a, that's that's exactly that was my initial immediate didn't even think about it reaction was holy shit she's done. Um, so you don't, I don't think know. it was the normal. You don't think the no because were she okay stopped, presuming she paused, that she put her hand over her heart in it. The, something listen i don't know what it was i'm just telling you that in my gut something felt final maybe well, you know the other thing about it that's a little bit strange is it is a big deal that they all went to australia like yes. part of it is also not so much yes could be retirement could be very personal but the fact that they achieved this made it happen I mean, I don't know if we're flying all the way to Australia next year again, like just realistically from a tennis perspective. So I think the moment was pretty big on multiple levels, not just personal, right? Sure. And this, and this could be part I, of what Pablo was mentioning about, you know, being more visually, demonstratively emotional. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it could be that, you know, because, I mean, you're right, Andre. This is a big moment. I mean, like, and this was the only guaranteed big tournament of the year, right? We're not sure about anything else. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, we don't not so sure if anything else can happen, right? Because no, they don't say, you know, like players are ready to not show up and go anywhere, right? Apparently, they were they're hungry for money, but you know, as to whether they would show up at tournaments, allegedly they might not do that. So this was a guaranteed big tournament that was going to happen, and it didn't turn out the way in which you know she wanted i believe that she was going to um, finish. listen to y'all about that i took her hands on heart very positively <laughs> Did you? i i yeah yeah absolutely Why? Because, because she was headed out 
and she came to the point where she has to turn to go into the tunnel and they were screaming her name and shouting at her and clapping her and everything and it hit her it really hit her i hope so i mean uh, it and, 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 and she and she she stopped she did that as if to say thank thank god thank you you know and on on she went i i don't i know it looked like she was saying goodbye but it it was spontaneous in my view and also, i think she's got i think i love pablo throughout the sorry? match it throughout the match to your point i think they gave her a lot of love throughout the match they wanted her to turn that match around yes absolutely yeah they wanted a third set and they wanted it more competitive it was terrible the quality was awful osaka yeah. served even worse 45% first serves. But she, but the, thing about the, the thing I like about Osaka is that Osaka does what she needs to do. No more, no less. And <laughs> really that's does. what I really <laughs> admire about her game. It's just like, <laughs> let Mugs do all the work across the net. You do what you, And then when I'm ready, I'm just like, hmm, time to get myself together. If we and, are talking Serena retirement, I think it will all come if the Olympics happen. I think that's where they want, both of them want to, to try and end up. Amen. All right, the U.S. Open. Do the U.S. Open, Bo. Do the U.S. Open. I, I don't the think U.S. So. Open, where they really don't love her? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't I fucking do it. No, for no, no, no. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I, the crowd love her at the U.S. Open. Yeah, they love her. But maybe other they, people, they love her now. They've come around. There have been problems in the past, but I can you think of anybody who's had the luck that she's had, or the bad luck that she's had? At a major, I mean, the shit starting in what 2004 against uh Capriati. I think it's five, it was five, it was, yeah. I know what you're talking about. I DD. thought it was quarterfinals 2004 yeah. or five, I don't know. And uh, Mariana Alves, that line it's called four, it's I four, mean, it's four, you're right, yeah. Um, and you just go through, and then the hindrance against Stozer, who was never going to hit the ball back. Um, and then Shino, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I, there's, I don't think anybody's had as much aggravation and drama at a major. And I wouldn't be surprised if she never wants to go back to the US Open. <laughs> but you know what? But it's, but it's rough. The thing is, I don't know, though. It's rough and ready and it's crazy, but it's her major. And so, oh, yes. And, and I think it's done well there nonetheless. Despite it's, America. It's, it's America. Yeah. I, think, <laughs> I think it's the hardest slam to win. It's because so they're, they're, Yeah, they're, they're so unforgiving. That court is like a, is like a Coliseum. <laughs> yeah. It really is. <laughs> and, and, all and, the people, and most of the people, they are not interested in tennis, but just interested in being in the moment. Being I'm so sorry. So they, they, they want the spectacle. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, so I think we've, we've, poor Serena, we've chatted about you. But, um, so there were claims. I, I listen. Chrissy fades in the background to me because she's chatter. But you know, Serena matches bring out uh, stands, fans, casuals, all of it. So I uh, we saw a piece that that had some problems with the way Chrissy was covering the match. Now you all have been listening to Chrissy for quite some time. Mm -hmm. Did you feel that the way that Chrissy was covering this match, calling this match, was demonstrably different than she had in the past? What was your what's your sense of it, or has she always been this way? 
the way that it was characterized. Basically, she was characterized as being extremely passive aggressive and outright racist at moments. So I'm trying, listen, I don't remember anything significant about her, which makes me question if she was my commentator. And I think <laughs> that she was, true story. I didn't notice anything different than she normally does. I remember at one point um, her actually going on and on. I, I thought she was really positive about Serena. So I, I honestly don't know what was said. Did I miss something or whatever? Because I took offense to nothing. I remember thinking at one point, Chrissy, stop it. Get your head into the back into reality. Serena's going to lose because she kept talking about, oh, maybe this is it. She's going to, you know, she's coming back or whatever, or if she can do this and I still believe and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, I don't, I, I totally had to have missed something because I did not get that sense at all. I have to say, um, I listened to my commentation in Espanol. Um, <laughs> so I get a lot of killing. No, you know, when a good winner goes by, you know, I just can't do Chris Paula, P-Mac, and the whole gang. I mean, like, it's it's white noise. Literally, figuratively, it's just white noise to me. And I just think, um, I'd have to say what I think happens around Serena, um, that is, that piece, I forget who wrote it, um, it should have been a tweet. It shouldn't have been a piece at all. Like, <laughs> it should it have been an email. Be we didn't need to have that meeting. <laughs> an email. It should have been a tweet, a random thought. You know, you put on. It may have got some traction. You know, engaged and whatever. And it should have been just like that, because I think what happens around a lot of time for Serena, Serena becomes this proxy war for feminism. Serena becomes this proxy war for a lot of things. And for, for certain things, okay, yes and no. There is demonstrably difference how Serena is being criticize, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't think what annoys me the most is that people who are outside looking in and just run around because Serena is going to bring the clicks, right? You're right, Serena is wearing a ring on her little finger. It will get a click. You will get the haters, you know, the trolls, you get everyone there, the love of Stan, everyone will be there. She's that much of a cultural icon. But I, I think a lot of times people don't know who write about Serena, don't understand how the world of tennis works, how it works within it, and what exactly is happening here. I don't think Chrissy was, what they pointed to wasn't naturally racism beyond what we know, you know, white girl feminism. But what they were, what, what I wish the piece had pointed to was really the lack of diversity in coverage when it comes to these kind of sports. That's what I wish the piece was addressing instead of just being that they're critiquing Serena or they didn't like doing with Serena. Because a lot of, honestly, the piece read like, you know, they were mad Serena didn't win. And just everyone was just pissing them off. You know, like when you're really upset, your husband or your wife or your friends are going to say, hey, you want some cake? Get away from me. That's being, anyone being nice or saying anything would just get you upset. And it didn't, they didn't have the receipt to back up the energy in which they wanted this piece to be. And to be, I mean, Chrissy is problematic. I mean, she don't know, she don't do notes. She don't do facts. You know I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's how tennis operates. You know what uh, I mean? They, I, that, um, what's that guy? I forget that, that, that racist comment, that guy, the gorilla comment, that guy, it wasn't that sort of thing, Ad, but it Adler. is. Adler. Adler. The, yeah. But I mean, it's, it's, this is just how, if you are not following tennis, 
a lot. This is how these people are. They 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 have no media training. They don't know how to do broadcasting. They they uh, okay. Well, let's be honest. Uh, Chrissy wasn't my commentator, so I don't know what she said. But when she is my commentator, she commentates like she's at the hair salon. I mean, that's that's her yes. that's her pitch. And she she'll fan, say things she's like, "Oh, girl, yeah, oh, I love that dress." And have you seen who she's dating? And um, you know, top me up, would you? Um. And it, it is, it's literally like she's at the spa or something and she's just having general chit chat. Um, so yes, it's kind of like white noise, but it's interesting, this subject about racism, because it's, it's. Um, I think it's another thing that uh, if you, during the US Open now, you can't go anywhere in New York City without seeing Serena at least every 10 paces. She's on every billboard, she's everywhere. Um, and there was a time when that would never have been the case, as we all know. And I think she's made huge strides in terms of the kind of white gaze on professional sport. And that's turned around a lot. And I feel that part of the fact that there were, there were, there were openly racist people who used to do the, the court placement at Wimbledon until they changed the committee's uh, a few years back, they were just literally racist people, members of the club who sat, who'd been sitting on the committee forever, and Venus would get caught twelve or something, you know. And a lot of progress has has happened. Things have changed, and I feel that Serena was fighting for that a lot in the past. She's achieved it, and maybe that has taken away some of the um, some of her mojo, some of her reason to fight. The, uh, to the level that she has in the past however well, i go back to that us open final against naomi and that was a revelation the number just as a as a trap to bring out the racists on twitter and in newspapers and in and so-called tennis commentators and so on and so on and so on so whilst we think there is a lot of progress made just scratch the surface see what happens but I didn't, and, and, you know, I was just, I, I mean, I was listening to the commentating. I just thought that Chrissy, I mean, I think Chrissy has, was taking so much care in that match. She was, she was ready for Serena's comeback in that match. She was cheering. She was begging for it. She was begging for it. So maybe she was overcompensating and some of the coded language that they're using. I do think that part of what was challenging for people is the recognition that the tennis establishment is so eager for Naomi. Mm -hmm. And they weren't eager for Serena. And that contrast, I think, is quite galling for old folks who've been watching this prior to 2011, as Chris, <laughs> as Reels is saying, is that the eagerness with which they are ready to, to invite Naomi Osaka to take the lead, to be the face of the tournament. Someone even explicitly asked her that in, like, we started out the tournament, we said that Serena was always going to be the face of um, yeah, women's tennis. What do you think about, um, do you think that's the same? And Emily's like, yeah. I mean, of course she's the same. She hasn't retired and she's number two, and she's got 23 slams. Why would that, why would four be 23? I mean, I know we do that at the ATP side. Math is confusing over there. But it's like, why, why this eager rush for the ascension of the newbie? When you have a viable champion that's still there, still competing, uh, uh, simple. And dream. Who else is going to carry the WTA? But you, but listen, Naomi's going to carry it fine. Listen, Serena carried uh, the WTA. Take, take, take her away. 
but I mean, but but the point is, Serena carried the WTA without anyone caring. Exactly. Why did she yep. rush to, exactly. to, to make this? Naomi's already doing it. She's already got all the sponsorship. She's already done all the thing. It's the it's the quickness. It's the rush. It's the rush to embrace in contrast to what we've seen in the past that I think is really galling and makes people a little bit like titchy. Um, and I, I mean, listen, and also, I mean, the other thing that they should understand is that these folks are desperate because they know the money ain't there for everything. And Naomi's bringing in cash and eyes and, and all of that. So the WTA is quite happy. And the Asian market, market, which at, is... That Asian, that's what the, they're salivating about the Asian market. Asian and market. It's ching ching And let's be honest, and the other thing is that Serena is in a place, this is uncharted territory, right? A 39-year-old competing, literally competing for the majors. Like, she is in with her shout. I mean, it's not yeah. a huge shout, but this is uncharted territory. I mean, like, and, and you pointed out, Pablo, like, being in New York, prior to 2015, and, you know, Serena wasn't getting all of this hype. She just wasn't, you know, in her own home slam. But I think it, it, you know, I think when Maria was busted as the deal that she was, you know, it became apparent the amount of endorsement deal that Maria had. And she wasn't really carrying the WTA. I mean, like, they weren't, I mean, like, she was a face she would bring, but uh, it was about Maria, not necessarily the tennis player who just, it was Maria who happened to be a tennis player. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot have been put on Serena's a plate and she has embraced this. Let's not. She's selling everything from suitcase to sweeties. I mean, I don't know what else she's selling. I don't know what else is there. She's selling everything. Sorry, she don't do candy yet. I mean, the new Meldonium the, the new, the new Mel- Chad. Right. You know, she, she got a drink. She got a Gatorade drink she's selling to. Yeah. They actually saw Serena today in a beer commercial. And oh, I was yeah. like, wait, Michelob. what? What? Yeah, yeah Michelob no. Ultra. And I thought, yeah, hmm, okay, okay. I, I'm not buying that for a second. But you know what? Put it in her hand and let her sell it. <laughs> so I, I think there is, a, I think, you know, it, it's a lot going on. Um, but, you know, I, I just think. I was like watching this. It's like, I was like, wait a minute, people. Martina is right there. Martina Navratilova is right there. That you are dragging Chrissy to the forefront and saying she's the face of the problematic tennis announcement, and you miss Martina Navratilova. Something is wrong. It's got so much rage inside of her that she could barely call. I mean, this is to me, Martina. It is fascinating. <laughs> I, I remember I remember when Serena matched them at 18, whatever it was. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I was at the US Open. Yes. Mm-hmm. I was there. Both, both Martina and Chrissy were there. And Chrissy was just beaming. She was so happy for her. And you could just see Martina gritting oh. her teeth. <laughs> nope. Like, like, you <laughs> nope. fucking witch. <laughs> she, um, she, I mean, and this is the thing. And Martina has been staying on this hater train from the jump. Martina, and, it's, and let's be fair, right? Let me be fair. You know, Martina is many problematic, you know, anti-trans stands, etc. But Martina has no respect for the WTA. Like, none. none she thinks they're all weak men. She, and, and she and um, John Wertheim. So, Martina, yeah, you didn't come to the Australian Open. Girl, like, whose fault is that? I don't know. Hilda, Hilda Kangaroo, whoever was in the in the draw, you think she wouldn't step out and let Navratilova come in? Martina, you didn't show up. 
You didn't show up. You can't blame everybody for this man. She, she, she's uh, like living in the past because she's so resentful. I mean, she's so bitter. So, no, but I, well, I, you know, I think part of the root of her resentment <laughs> is when she defected in uh, nineteen in the 19, 1975, she defected. She was at the U.S. Open. Um, the one thing that I've read about that she said, I've heard her say it actually in interviews and stuff, that the one thing she regrets about everything, um, and I think that Martina was the prototype for Serena and Venus. Martina completely changed the physical approach to the game. She she copied Nancy Lieberman. I don't know if you remember Nancy Lieberman. Um, her sort of workout regime and yeah, the emphasis on cross-training yeah. and everything. She worked with Renee Richards on strength training and everything. She became superwoman physically com compared to other female tennis players at the time. And she changed the power level within the game. And that was the on was the hors d'oeuvre, if you like, for Serena and Venus to come in, who then upped it. Monica Selish. And took it to another level. Oh, oh well, Monica Selish was not as big a ball basher as people think she is. She, she was consistently played, hard. Played it with the noise. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and I think Mart Martina's resentment is that she didn't get as proper coach when she when she defected to America. Six and years, she said. Something like six years, yes. Yeah. And she thinks, uh, you think it could have been, it would have been Serena chasing Martina's record. Or twenty six, twenty seven, possibly. Federer didn't even know the coach for some years too. I mean, yeah, but, yeah come on. Like the thing go. is, you structural. These were structural challenges that you encountered, which, by the way, should help her when she starts to talk and as like a as some sort of um, representative is to really focus on the structural instead of the individual. But we know Martina can't do that, which is why she's mm -hmm. coming as a transphobe. <laughs> But the thing is, these were structural inequalities that you should be trying to tackle, and therefore you should be embracing the folks that come behind you who don't have those same structural challenges because you've actually transformed the sport. But she yeah. stays bitter. To me, the most compelling thing about it is that nobody ever wants her to coach. We all remember the Aga's yep, coaching exactly. disaster, and that, and that tells you everything, everything you need to know yep. about how women feel that Martina approaches them and the sport too much bitterness and too much envy and it's unattractive and it's actually ugly on the inside and she doesn't and, know how to coach just well, well how can she should be like when i was a coach when i was a player this is how i would do it and probably here's, and, and here's the real true tea is that meanwhile y'all are talking about peggy and her 24 y'all are actually chasing martina's imaginary 50 majors that she thinks, you know, hey, that'll be next i mean it'll be next for sure <laughs> My team oh, is saying okay. you have 24. Well, it is, it's I mean, uh, uh, it's not on my level. You are not uh, what's that? Um, Naomi Campbell, you are not on my level. Just okay. <laughs> well, let me so so let's just um, there, let's let's talk a little bit about some of the surprises before we head sorry, into sorry. Can we just really mention something? Can we just uh, 30 seconds on something that Reels mentioned that I, I, I've been wanting to mention the last couple of. Uh, podcast because it comes up. Naomi's endorsements. Yeah, no, yeah, we were going to go into yeah. that. Mm -hmm. What's up? What's up? With oh, this oh we're going to. Uh, no, 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 it's cool. Never, never, ever believe what an agent tells you about what their player is being paid by Louis Vuitton or whoever else. Or oh, well, yeah. or whoever. Yeah. That, because, firstly, because 
someone I kept hearing on the commentary. Oh, Naomi earned thirty-seven million in sponsorship deals in two thousand and twenty. No, she fucking didn't. She hasn't got a clue how much she's earned in two thousand and twenty. She won't know until at the earliest, probably March, April two thousand and twenty-two, when the numbers are audited, because the contracts for these sponsorships are layered in such a way that it, it will tie into how many appearances that you make, where you are in the rankings, how many slams you get, how much um, they will use other metrics in terms of social media, context, uh, contextual ge generation, stuff like that. They, her accountants, they have a base figure and they know the triggers that will work, but nobody knows for at least 14, 15 months after the end of the year um, when the numbers are audited properly. Uh, all the sales figures in and everything, what they've earned. So when you see, um, who is it who's always putting out, you know, top paid athletes? They're bullshit. They, oh. they, they, these guys have not seen the underlying contracts. They don't know how they're layered. Well, it's just uh, they, they, isn't it? Right? It's, it's, it's no, it's in their it's, own mind. It's, P, it's PR. Yeah, sure. The agent will say, she just signed a ten million dollar deal with Louis Vuitton. Uh, and they don't say, oh, that 10 million is over four years. Or that 10 million is depending on her winning three slams and ending the year as world number one. Well, or there are other you. layers that she needs thank to pass through in order because, to that. Because when I become a celebrity, I'm just saying, I'm sorry, I need the money up front. I need panoramas and pandemic. No, 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 no. We're going to need this money up front. So if you if I sign a ten million dollar deal, I better see. I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna check my numbers, <laughs> and I'm not showing anywhere until my bank account is up. And Chad is here. Afu is here. Yvette is here. Lovely drama girl is here. We got a lot of people, you know. Chad, Chad needs to not text and drive. Cut the shit. Okay, so let's talk about this. So how badly did uh, Muguruza fumble the bag, and would she have gotten herself a slam if she had been? Well, you know how I feel about this subject, right? Muggs no, was, I don't. Tell me. <laughs> you know, Muggs, who was waiting in the semi was the girl that she knew that she is in for a shout, right? Well, what I do know is that Muggs gets to the semifinals. I don't know. We might have got a three-set, maybe. But Muggs knew she was not going to fumble that bag again, right? Because Muggs, yeah, William's sisters, it's on like Donkey Kong. <laughs> like, we all know this. We all know this. Okay? I guess the question is, is Serena nervous across from Muggs? <laughs> Well, I mean, no. she has played mugs at the Australian Open and beat her, I think, after the in 2015, right? To get to that, um, she had to beat mugs. Um, so it's, but I think mugs would have been mugs wouldn't have been lost, you know. What I mean, but then again, Osaka was again like, girl, you done two match points, <laughs> okay? That what you're gonna do now, okay? I'm not gonna give you another chance after this, right? We're just gonna like. Mugs. No, we have to talk about that match, though. What happened in that match? That was a second week match. That Mugs mm -hmm. versus Osaka match. Um, she what? choked. Mugs choked. Period. <laughs> she fucking choked. Last week. We talked about this last week. We didn't talk about this last week. This was a no, full round match. It was, week two. it was a week two match. We didn't talk about it. No, they played in the third round, uh, fourth round, didn't they? It was a quarter. Either way, she choked. She it choked. Was a Most trope, as to be expected. Santa Williams sisters, Santa Osaka. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, no, you know, no, it was go back and you think that's the pivotal hold match, on, right? Pablo, because I'm, I'm thinking we did talk about it because Pablo mentioned that this fact that Muggs almost have this place, she's at a level and there's no way to go. She is mm-hmm. almost capped at what she's capable of doing in court. It's probably a third round, a fourth round match, right? Because it, it was a fourth, fourth round match, round. but wasn't the fourth round played on a Sunday? Yeah, yeah, it yeah. was. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yes, yeah, we so apparently we've time. talked about that. Yeah, no, 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 okay. no, 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 no. He said it was after the midweek podcast. We didn't actually talk about. It. We talked about the what could happen in the match, but we actually didn't talk about the actual match itself. Oh well, mm. but it's again, fine. she choked. <laughs> well, yeah. and the truth is, no. The truth is, like, look. In the in the moments where hang on, uh, didn't we talk about it because because Reels mentioned her biker shorts? Yes, the sort of the, the black lycra or whatever it was. But um, anyway, but, sorry, sorry, yeah, maybe I'm imagining right. things. Yeah. Um, so, I just think that when when Muguruza lost that match, a she choked. B she was already playing her best tennis and didn't have anywhere to go beyond that. In Osaka, mm-hmm. had the opportunity to get better. That's, I mean, when when you're playing top level and your opponent is not, you better pray that they keep not playing their top level because their top is better than your top. So when it came down to it, Muguruza's level dropped and Osaka's went up. But. But I think we did talk about it, but that's okay. Yeah, I, but, but I, th- I th- thought we discussed that that was the difference between Osaka and lots of the other players. Tony that says just our match it. was Sunday, or that match was well, a Saturday it, night. I don't know, yeah. Yeah. Sunday, but it's However okay. it worked out, Muggs, you dropped the ball. Yeah, I think, I she think dropped the ball. I mean, Muggs was the, I mean, like, Muggs was the only person who looked like Osaka was not going to run away with this whole tournament, and Muggs was the match of the tournament, basically. I would, but know. even if she would have won, she would have lost to somebody after that because it's what she does. I mean, that lately. Is, I mean, but but we, we are we going for Muggs sanity? We're going to pretend that Muggs would have probably finally not dropped from. But you know what? Muggs fumbled the ball all the time, the pocketbook, right? Fumbled it last year, and I'm well, never forgiven we, after that. We I have tenants for that. I know. Can we? Um, so, is Jen Brady a problematic fave that we can we can embrace moving forward? Um, I'm in. Still, I'm still in a week, and she's on a trial period. And <laughs> she's on a trial period. <laughs> there is this book. I mean, there's this book um, called "The Chrysalis" by John Wyndham. Mm-hmm. When you have a baby, you have to make sure the baby passes "quote unquote" inspection. There is no mutancy, like there's no extra toe, et cetera, et cetera. It's a post-apocalyptic oh world. <laughs> So you, you don't mention the baby at all. So for Jen Brady, you're in one of those. You're in one of that category. We're going to wait until we see something problematic come out. And you got like a six-month period, girl. Now you're going to get some attention, you know. People saying you're the greatest high-code player and the, one of the top high-code player out there. I don't know how that's a thing. Well, you know what? She played really well. I thought she held herself. In the fit. final? In the final, I mean, she played mm, as well as mm, I would have mm, expected mm, from. Andrean, wait, 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 wait. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, she obviously ran out of steam, but she was still trying to make things happen. I was like, girl, you are set in a breakdown 
And she was still going. Well, two breaks, I think. I think she was able to get one break back. <laughs> I think, um, you know, but I, I liked her fight. I liked her fighting spirit. I liked that she didn't get too negative on herself. And I liked that she kept trying. Like, I mean, if there was ever going to be a nervy moment, she would have been able to pound on I've honestly never heard her say something problematic as far as being in the American MAGA camp. Um, I'm just kind of waiting for someone to dig it up. Yeah, I'm waiting to see. But you know what? I think probably because we can't, you know, Naomi, you know, I like you, girl, but, you know, you kind of have a dead face. You know, maybe we don't ascribe, you know, project onto Naomi as we would project onto, like, other, you know, players. But Naomi was being charity, was, was, was exhibiting charity on that court. Because Brady, even when uh-huh. Naomi was giving her points to win, Brady was just missing by a country yeah. mile. It was, just, it was just like it was, she was fighting to be Petra. Our mother so in those moments when you know, like they just with a little off. bit of Madison Keys. <laughs> That's well, it. I mean, That's it was the poor end in the net when she had a chance to potentially fight back from that. Second I, I thought it, I thought it was a really poor quality match from both of them, but Naomi did enough and kept yes. it together at the right moments and um, and ran away with it in the end. I think Jen Brady has done a lot of work in the last eighteen months. Um, yeah, two years. In, in, Isn't she in, in Germany? Yes. Isn't she? Yes, like, exactly. She in the off season. Yeah, she went to Germany. Yeah, uh, and I think she did it again this year. She she's done it the last two off seasons. But look at her draw. I mean, she had the easiest path <laughs> to the by a long way. And you know, the funny thing is, she could easily have gone down to Pagula. That went to three. Pagula was bashing the crap out of the ball. Uh, and it went to three sets, and Pagula, well, did a, no, I wouldn't say choke, but she, she just unraveled. Well, they know each other's game well because they're friends. Mm-hmm. So I yeah, always yeah, think yeah. That when people play a friend, the friend knows your game intimately. So I think it gets, I think it can be more competitive than normal, right? I mean, but the other side of the draw was always going to be a problem. It was the thinnest part of the draw. I know that's of why course. people accuse the Australian yeah, yeah. fixing the draw. That was an accusation. I didn't make it. But um, they laid it out there for but you. But people didn't show up, right? You know, people people who you expected. I expected, you know, Vika to have a good run here. I didn't think she was going to win the tournament, but I didn't think she was going to roll out in the first round. Yeah. Um, you know, I think she, and, and she had form coming in. Yep. She'd done well the previous week. And, yeah, I expected her. But it was Pagula who took But Pagula played fabulous tennis for a few rounds. Really, really good. Better than I've ever seen her play. Well, let's hope, you know, I mean, I'm all, you know, the Australian Open is always for anomalies. And mm-hmm. I see you here in Melbourne, but am I going to see you in Miami? That's am I going to see you in Rome? <laughs> am I going to see you in Paris? You know what I mean? Because we got a lot of one-hit wonders, and I think, you know, um, you know, BB is struggling to accept that fact, and so is Sophia. You know, like, girl, you are even my old yet, you know, and just either you take that or if you want it, you have to push you know what I mean? And I don't know if y'all really been putting in the work. So, you know, cute tournament. I never forget Clarissa Fernandez, who Venus beat in the 2002 French <laughs> Open to get to the final. I cannot I, stand your I house. I bet y'all don't even know who Clarissa Fernandez oh, wait. is. What, don't we need to discuss the quote of the, the women's final? Yeah. Do you like to be mm. called Jenny or Jennifer? What was that about? Brady says... Jenny I mean, in Osaka is, says, firstly, I want to congratulate Jennifer. Was that true shade? Because if it was, I'm in. I mean, to me, if I, I mean, were I if I was at the office meeting, if that were in the office, bitch, <laughs> I'm gonna pull you aside at the water cooler and snatch your <laughs> That's what that is. 
I mean, hang look, on, hang on. No, no. I, I think it was it was shade in that it was cover for her next comment to Brady. I told anyone who would listen to me, you're a problem. <laughs> and say that about somebody in a final in your in your gracious <laughs> acceptance speech. Girl, you're a problem. <laughs> horrible. This is who Naomi Osaka is becoming. Uh, I'm no, in no, love. No, 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 no. It is who she is. Well, yeah, she was not always this person. Nope. She used no, to no, get no, up no, in no. front no, of people no, and speak. Is, stop, in, stop, stop. Janine, Janine was stop. a hot mess. Hold up, hold up. Remember in 2018, I said people are going to love on Naomi because they can use Naomi some anti-blackness to get at Serena. But that yeah. girl is going to come out and show she's really black, black. And y'all yes. are, like are not going to like her. Like she is. Although I'll be honest, let's let's be honest about Creole more than she speaks Japanese. So just let people know that she is good with the shade, and she she has she has a little sister as well. Nobody's shady like. Let's have right on three. Well, yes, I am. But let's talk about (laughs) um feelings. Let's talk about feelings. How are you all feeling about Naomi Osaka? Because I have to say, I I will come out and say. I appreciate her. I think it's going to be great if she takes all these ladies to the slammer many, many times. Mm-hmm. But my heart's not in it for her. My heart's not in it for her. She's not it for me. She's not it for me either, but I can uh, appreciate she- her using her um, platform in a positive way. And I will always support that. But I don't watch her and in, in feel compelled to cheer for her. Or care. Well, like, or I care. care. Or care. Like, I like her, but I don't. I think for me, it's the Serena trigger. But but you know, <laughs> but you see, I'm there serious. is Hold on, hold on. For I mean, me. Um, for me. What do you mean? Um, and by the way, Howard is here. We had another guest, um, commentator and writer. Howard Bryant is here. We're going to add him to the stream. Yeah. Hello, Howard. Him. How are you doing? Hey everybody! I'm Hello? like listening. I'm listening to this. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta say something a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Come okay, on in. come on in. How do you feel about Naomi? Let us know. Let us know. <laughs> Where I'm well, feeling. When I heard the words Serena trigger, I was like, mm. well, um, <laughs> you know, though, I think in dreams got it right. But there's one thing I would throw in there too, right? And it's probably generational. Right, Serena's been around for 25 years. Naomi Osaka's a kid. I'm 52 years old. That, I don't, it's it's kind of hard to root for her. To, I mean, like root the way you rooted for somebody who felt more like a peer. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah, yeah. So, totally. Serena's still here. Like you exactly. can't be like. It's like it's like I can't cheer on these kids when Federer's still around. Get out of here. <laughs> I don't care about Medvedev. No, I don't care how cute they are. I'm just like, yeah, Federer's still here, and you know. It's not gonna happen. Well, and just to be clear, need some distance. When I say like it's a trigger for me, I just feel like every time I see Naomi Osaka, I am reminded of some negative things that have happened in in tennis, and I am very much aware that it has nothing to do with her per se. I get mm-hmm. that. I mean, it's my own bias. I'm just like, God damn. Well, I gotta know, think about I, that again. I would, I would, I would say that my empathy level is. Uh, fairly low with her, although I think she is the heiress to Serena. Um, and the, the reason is um, there are aspects of her behavior that I find very calculating. Let's leave it at that. 
you know what? And I enjoy that. I enjoy that about her. Really I mean, I, because to me, well, it's let's like dig, because dig into that a tiny bit, right? Because, like when you I mean, say about calculation, like this is because I hip, mean, that generation is hip, all social media. They know they're all branding all the time. Yeah. Well, also, and I mean, the, the, it's the silent hand you don't see as well, right? The father, right? Mm -hmm. The father is never there, around. but you don't, see, but you never see him. Mm -hmm. But he's the one controlling the thing. And one thing I do enjoy about her, and I would say that she has not leaned into the anti-Serena-ness that the media would want it to do to prop up another woman, right? Typically, they would lean into some like, well, she's beating Serena, she's just like, Serena is the top player. It's Serena. There's no so need this, to be. So, this. in other words, reels you you're you're hearkening back to Australia, Sloan Stevens, Serena, and suddenly the right. I made you tweet. <laughs> right. I mean, like maybe that might be what Pablo is talking about. Like you know, like Naomi is really recognizing that for her greatness are the path that she wants to go on. She don't need to drag any of these girls in public. She can do that. No, 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 no. She will do, and it will come. She I won't drag maybe, Serena. Maybe, she won't drag. Know. I mean, she won't drag Serena because no, she does not she want knows. to create animus. Because if she, if Serena thinks she's being disrespectful, she'll come and she'll bash her off the court. Oh, you think like, it? That oh, she doesn't. Think, oh, yes. It's calculated. This is completely calculated. But I mean, but I'm that's, just saying that's that one of the things. Can do anything Naomi Osaka on the court right now. I, I think so I think too. She can bash um, her off the court. I don't think you she can. Her on the court. She moves. She moves really, really well. Like she is. And the but thing look, and when the they game played is in the Rogers, hang on, hang on. When they played in the Rogers Cup, Serena took her apart. She yeah, completely no, outplayed what, Rogers Cup. Well, listen, yeah. listen. Real. It was a routine match. I think the point that we, I think the point Pablo is trying to make, and I think it's something that we were disappointed in, is we didn't actually see Serena show up for this match. Mm -hmm. And I think for which we want for this last match. Final. Horrible. You don't think Serena showed up for that match? No. 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 no I need a mentioning, sir. I need what? No. What you got, Howard? I don't know. We ain't watching it. the same thing. <laughs> what, what did you see? Tell us. You know what I saw? Mm -hmm. I saw somebody. I saw somebody who got off to a fast start. But I saw somebody who was not reacting to the speed of the ball that was coming at her, and she couldn't get any forehands. I mean, I just think that, you know, at some point, the other person has something to do with what you're doing. And I don't think that Serena could get offensive. I think that she, I think that when, when Naomi is returning and when she, Naomi could get to a forehand when she wanted to go watch that 2-1 game. And that's when everything shifted. Naomi took two extra steps, turned around the ball and ripped a forehand inside out from the middle of the court. And Serena was like, damn. And after that, Naomi realized I can beat her with speed. And if you watch the rest of that match, there was no moment where Serena could get offensive on the forehand. The only places where Serena had a chance to get into that match, where she was getting out wide on serve because she was stretching Naomi horizontally, that was something that was working, and she was getting there on the serve. But anything straight, straight power to power, she was not beating her. She couldn't get to her forehand. So I don't... I mean, maybe you don't think she showed up, and maybe there's a chance that she'll show up again. But in terms of what I saw, just now she handled Sabalenka's power, but she was not handling 
Osaka's power. And I don't think that those two have that much of a difference in power. Maybe it was what they were reading or, you know, two rounds later in the tournament or whatever. But I did not see Serena have any real chance but to take inconsistent though. Sabalenka is inconsistent within the match. Exactly. Like, and that's why I think Serena can handle it. Right. Right. And Naomi isn't giving you breathing room. She is on mm-hmm. your neck. She's on and, you. And exactly. the other and that thing that forehand is really, really... Forehand to forehand, Naomi's going to win that. Serena's breaks down a little. It has gotten really... It's exceptional. But, again, I think Naomi is moving really well. Maybe in time in if the future... If you can't get a forehand real, you can win. I mean, that's the bottom line. That's the reason why Serena and Venus... Smoked everybody all those years because at some point, and why Sam still has a major exactly. And when you start getting to the forehand, you can win. If you can't get a forehand, eventually you're going to break down because you're always defensive. There's really only a couple of players who can really dictate with the forehand, and one of them with the backhand, and one of them was Serena because eventually her movement was good enough that she would get to a forehand, right? But I'm not seeing that in those in the grand slam matchups against Osaka. I did not see her. I did not see her really get a shot to get around on a ball and start controlling the action from the middle of the court. I just didn't see it. I didn't see that. I mean, I think one of the things that's interesting about this point and to what Pablo has been talking about, and I know the commentators kept commenting on this, which is the fact that Naomi would not look at Serena, right? Is because it, she was sort of managing herself in the match. Even though she was managing her game pretty well, she was also trying to manage Serena's reputation in the match. Mm-hmm. And even the points where Serena was able to break, I felt like that's actually where the reputation sort of got in her head and allowed Serena to have a moment. But that moment for me is when Serena wasn't able to take advantage of it. Like she didn't you win another point for the rest of the match. Yeah, no. Like you see your opponent falter a little bit. But then it didn't actually it didn't actually create a switch in Serena in some ways yeah. to but why? be creative or try something different. Like I thought that was interesting because usually, listen, you know, you see it happen. You see a young person playing, um, not even amazing, playing good tennis. But then occasionally they falter, and you you the oldie out there is like, okay, let me lose a little bit of my guile here. That See, but I don't didn't... think Osaka is a young player. I think that she's got three majors. She ain't playing. Yeah. She looks at that. I think that here's the interesting thing to pop to Pablo's point, and I wonder when he when you sort of speak to this idea of like ulterior motive. I mean, Osaka has way more confidence than she lets on. And at some point, and I wonder when that shift is gonna happen, people are gonna <laughs> start looking at her and go, she's a fake. And and when I say fake, I don't mean inauthentic as much as I mean deep down. She no, she's not humble about her abilities. She no, she's knows not. she, coach, she no, knows she can. You know what? You. The coach gave it up. The, the coach gave it up, Howard. The mm-hmm. coach, Naomi's when, coach, <laughs> let it out. The bag. He did. He let it out the bag. Because when I look around and I see the yeah. most rootless calculating mind, can't get to Serena. Patrick got a lot done on that job, so I'm going but to where, the second where did, he, where did he give it up? I missed this. He the Someone coach. Put he, yeah, someone put out an interview with him that was translation. Yeah. And he basically told us that she was ruthless, which is interesting because, you know, they've been covering her like she's a mouse and a kitten. And he was mouse. the first one. He I was know. the first one to say it out loud mm-hmm. that she is ruthless. She's ruthless. And so it's interesting. It's interesting. If you listen to this podcast, we'll hear real say that way before Wim Fawcett even got that job. But, you know, 
they've been trying <laughs> to pull out all the receipts. Interviews. Yeah. Listen, there have been a couple of interviews where Osaka has said things where you go, that's kind of awful, right? Where mm -hmm. she said, where she was in the, in, right before the final, and she's like, well, you know, you hope that somebody's in their first final, and I really do hope they get nervous. I'm like, why are you rooting for somebody to get, you know? Like, that's kind of shady, right? It's like, and, but, well, she but knows. Because she knows, exactly, she knows. And I think that what I'm going to do at some point later today, even though I don't have time to do it, but now I'm going to make time to do it. I'm going to go back and watch that four-four game, and mm -hmm. I want to and I want to see exactly what if Serena didn't take advantage, or if Naomi was like, "Yeah, I gave that game to you, and now I'm going to turn it up another notch," right? Because I don't remember. I, I know Serena got broken in, at love, but I don't remember all the individual points. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I think Serena's. Well, the serve was definitely not popping. But yeah, but, but, I mean, but, hang on. Just on the serve, on the serve, <laughs> that's the one thing that Serena controls, and yep. it was at forty-six percent for the match, mm -hmm. and she, and and she's not even getting out of the blocks at the level that she should be at in order to take on somebody of Naomi's caliber, and of course the unforced error count is heavily negative, and that's a lot to do with her unreturn with unreturnable shots or whatever, but. The the thing that had improved enormously in the previous rounds since we saw her last at the French or whatever was uh, her movement yes, and court position. Really. And she absolutely didn't have it in this match against Osaka. She forgot it. Yeah. And because of it, she was hard. Paolo, can I, let, me, let me ask you this, though. Um, the, what, I, what I was thinking about in terms of that, too, is when you think about golf, right? and basketball in terms of when players get close to the end the putter is what goes right suddenly them little five foot putts suddenly you can't make them anymore so you start to look for areas of slippage when it's time to go right and as a 40 year old soon to be 40 year old people talk about the inconsistencies of age that you're not able to bring it every single day but i'm wondering if one of the things that starts to go as a as a forty year old server, even a serve like Serena's is the fact that you're not going. You can't expect to to dominate necessarily through sixty seventy five minutes worth. Maybe you can dominate for twenty minutes, fifteen minutes, ten minutes during mm -hmm. certain stretches. But are, is it realistic to expect a Serena Williams fortnight to? you know, be 2012 where she's banging 24 aces at Wimbledon in a final. I mean, is where, where do you see the slippage as a, as a four year old? Did everybody hang up uh, on me? No, I think in movement. comparably who's so who who's somebody who is fairly comfortable on their serve, but hasn't been able to do it in the Roger. Federer. Roger. Mm -hmm. Roger. That's the thing we've noticed. That's right. it's, it's that's where you see the price paid. And you think to yourself, it's in your control. This but is it. Not necessarily <laughs> I mean, I mean, but here's the thing. We we say that is that you the only thing you control is getting that ball in the box, right? How that how that ball is treated. Because I mean, let's be honest, a lot of the top returners, right? Serena's game is is a good return game as well. I mean, they're putting you under pressure. Pull Maria, right? I mean, like, yep. she'd be coming yeah. in, you know, being solid under serve. I mean, and the minute she has Serena, she's thinking double fault. Double yep. fault, 
double fault. This arena standing so, two feet inside the baseline. Exactly. Like, I gotta do something. <laughs> Exactly. And I mean, like you and you also know the potential of Serena knows the potential of Naomi's return. I mean, that full hand is just like anything sloppy yeah, in that right. box. Yeah, Naomi is match. going to be all over that. And then you're going to be on the defensive. So I think, I mean, though the serve is within your control, I mean, I would say that, you know, I mean, the returner, I mean, good return. I mean, look, Serena and Vika. I, I mean, that's not supposed to be a matchup at all because Vika really don't have you know, well, and that's always been the weapon. difference with those two is that one, both can return, but only one can serve. Can serve, and right. The, the, the key when you watch Serena to me has always been, always, her return. Nobody talks about it because they always talk about the they talk about her serve. But Serena, when she was at her best, when you're looking at 2013, 2014, she was breaking at 52%. You got no chance. How are you going to beat her when you're when she's holding at 87% and she's breaking at 53%? You're not going to win, right? So when you're watching her now, the, 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 the Halep match was the one where I was like, oh, she can win this tournament. Because all of a sudden, Halep was like, I don't even know where to go. But Halep's exactly. serve is not Naomi Osaka's serve. Right. But you know, ironically, Naomi's the one that served the double faults in that match. Serena had one. That's right. Eight, That's right. And yeah. um, and then Serena had two um seven breakpoint chances and only took two. Well, so I think just, yeah, I, I think to the I think to the 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 golf and putter analogy, I think where you start to see it, and you can you know, Nadal has always been sort of in that sort of nervous area as well. I think where you see it is in the movement. You know, mm -hmm. both to Reels and Pablo's point, yep. I think you see it in the movement, but I think you also see it in what you do at break points. Yep. And you also see it in, in a, I, I got to get this. You know how important that is. And, and especially unreturned break points. Like they say, like statistically, you know, I was talking to some of the analytics guys over at the, the, um, at the ATP and, and they were telling me, they were telling me that the 1540 break point is the most unreturned, ser um, unreturned serve in the sport. That's mm. all nerves. Yeah. <laughs> That's like all nerves right there, right? <laughs> I, I, actually, gotta, I actually, gotta get this. Yeah, there's another um, fact that was very evident in this match. If you'd watched Serena's sort of earlier rounds, she was frequently in trouble on serve and yeah, she mm -hmm. served herself mm -hmm. out of it every mm -hmm. time. Yep, yep. She, yep. she, she didn't hear. No, she didn't. Well, you and, know what? And, we, and that's we, why I was nervous about her. That's why I didn't really think she could probably win so much. So because the serves serve. weren't the serves were not her service games were not dependable, reliable. Like you could be like, "Oh, well, she broke. She's definitely gonna convert yeah. now." You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. definitely going to that convert. Consolidate the break. Yeah, second set made me made me start believing a little bit because she was moving. And here's the thing about Naomi, and I know, real as you said, you think she's a great mover. I'm not sure she's a great mover. She didn't. She doesn't come to net. I mean, if you watch the final, she got stuck in no man's land so many times true. when she could have come forward Andrine or not. Point, and I, mm -hmm, go ahead. That is true. But Andrine pointed out to me, she don't need to, and no one has made her do I think that at all. Needs to. Yeah, I think and it is not someone. Winfrey is not someone who's going to teach you how to come to the full court game. And so I, I think she has a half of a game, right? But yep. it's like this thing with Nadal and Djokovic, right? You And Federer, right? Why are you playing them from the back of the court? You can't out-hit them. That's right. And you keep doing that. Maybe it's from the arrogance or whatever the case may be. Naomi doesn't, has never, no one has made Naomi pay the price 
for being yeah, in the back of the car. They don't make. They don't demand I, her. Yeah, I think a player like volley, Vardy could do it. She's like, yeah, she's out I think looking the, Yeah, I think the midcourt and net area is the Grand Canyon of modern tennis. Yep, it sure. How is. many of the young players do you see moving forward? Nope. None of them. They None only them. want mm -hmm. to hit ground strokes from the baseline. God, even that's, all, that's all that's programmed into them. Coco Golf save us. <laughs> She tried. Well, I hoped that Coco, because she plays dubs, that she's you know that she can you know bridge that canyon. But it's it's a hundred percent true. Like I remember, I'm like watching the final, and the number of times she stretched Brady out wide, and then I was like, "Where you come on, come on?" Nope. Like I remember, I was at Wimbledon, and I was at court court eighteen, which is the best court there because it's so tight, right? It's the smallest court, and I was sitting behind Lindsay Davenport when she was coaching Madison Keys. And the entire match, I don't remember who she was playing, but the entire match, every time, you know, because Keys has these big-ass ground strokes, you know, she didn't follow him up. And you could hear Lindsay going, where are you? Maddie, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? And she was just standing on the baseline. She's like, where are you? And she started losing We're that match. Here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I mean, if you watch a junior tennis match, we could keep going. I, we could keep going about this, but we have to shift focus a little and bit. I just wanted to segue into the time man. Time. Um, yeah. Years ago, Andrina and I watched Mikhail Yamir um, um, play a junior match against a uh, Korean player. I'm uh, telling you, they would they would run back to the baseline. <laughs> they would they would run back to the baseline. They're not. They're not uh, I mean, I think maybe it's because of the highlight reel. Maybe highlight reel is like you know it's all you know power and from the back of the court. Maybe that's what it is. No, but... no, no, no. They can't volley. Yeah, they can't. <laughs> no, none of the coaches teach. Exactly Look at right. who were the last set. Who are the last set of coaches that taught players to volley? Serena Era. <laughs> Basically, like well, you know what? And it, listen, and we can critique that, but at this point in time, sure. she has four slams and she doesn't have to right now. It will yeah. probably be required, and so she'll have to develop that part of her game. But for now, she's like, I'm comfortable hanging right back here. Yeah, beat me with what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, right. Somebody like um, Shred with more power. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and a better serve, like, girl. <laughs> Like but we back we, from your baby. This is your this is your this is your pigeon. Naomi is your pigeon girl. Like Taylor. All right. So we have we wanted to chat about this because obviously the men's match took place last night. And we can obviously talk about Novak because he's got 18. But why should we do that when we, the question we want to know is who can compete with Novak? And so we posed the question last well, week and well, we want to get into it. That's who can compete with Nole. Alliance That's person. the only person competing with Nole is the Lions person. Um, is, you know, we've been looking, this is Black History Month, as we say. We don't get to talk about tennis and the Australian Open in February. So it's a perfect time to talk about really the missing link here in tennis, which is the black male tennis player. The successful oh. black male tennis player. What's going on? <laughs> yes. Success. No, I mean, listen, but to be honest, listen, because listen, we have a bevy. We have a bevy of choices on the women. <clears throat> a bevy, right? But we don't have a similar thing on the men's side. And if we're going to look three years out, who's on the who's on the horizon? Who has a chance of winning? And we could not comfortably lean in and say that any of these men that we currently no, see. Can't even say them in the top 10 right now. 
I mean, except what? Felix. I mean, Felix has a shot, obviously. I mean, to, because I, I think the difference is going to be with some of these plays. It's like, what type of top 10 player are you, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, are you are you the 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 Stan Wawrinka top Ferrer? 10 player? I which, I mean, the, the, I mean, the, te- the, I mean the, the Wawrinka Ferrer, I mean, the, the Wawrinka top 10 player, which is you're in the top 10 because you you have these runs where you get to slam and you win a whole bunch of points. Or are you a David Ferrer type, although he was consistent as well, you know, he never won, but, you know, where you reach the top 10 because you play a lot of matches, you win a lot of matches, but that doesn't mean you're successful at the slams and it doesn't mean you're even a threat at the slams. And so I, I think that the, the big elephant in the room here is, I guess the best way to put it is, is this an environment where they feel like they can succeed? You look at somebody like Francis in the United States and, and within mm-hmm. that milieu. I mean, he, to me, the black male tennis player in the United States is in hostile territory. It doesn't even mm-hmm. feel like a comfortable place where you can actually mm-hmm. go out and be your best. Are you in an environment where you can concentrate on your sport? It doesn't even feel, I mean, look at Donald, whether you're talking about Donald Young, you're talking about Francis, you know, I mean, Look at look at the people. Even if you're competing, go have a conversation with Donald Young about Davis Cup. People don't want him around. They didn't want anything to do with him. So I mean, how would how what would a comfortable environment do to their games? Okay, are you saying that they have common obstacles? Um, I'm saying that I think that, well, I mean, I, I brought up two different points. I mean, obviously, Felix is Canadian, and I think, I mean, there's a Pan-African question here, then there's an American question. Um, but if we just keep it to, let's just let's just do this. Let me take a step back, and let's just talk about game. Whose game do you think right now is good enough to compete at the highest level? The answer is none of them. Um, I don't see anybody's game right right now as a threat, never mind to win a major. But to win a Masters, I mean, I don't see anybody, um, you know, I look at Francis's game. I mean, it's a wonky game. It's a power game. It's a weird game. It's a, I, I don't know, you know, he's he's just, a, you know, he's a very talented player. I mean, he's got no backhand. However, he fought really hard. I mean, I love the way he competed. Um, and it, it's just a really, it's a really interesting sort of type of player. I mean, FAA just looks too young and too thin, and he just needs to get stronger and tougher in the whole thing. So that's a work in progress. Um, I, I just look at them as as players, and I'm I think instead of looking at who's going to compete for majors, I'm looking and thinking, okay, whose game am I going to say, okay, in January you were X, but by December you were something different. You need to, a lot of guys are going to have to make a real leap, and I haven't seen it yet. I mean, well, I think that's a really fair point just from a games perspective. Because I remember when Delpo came on tour, he just grew leaps and bounds that like uh-huh. when, like not came on tour. He was on tour for a long time. But you remember that definitive year when he made strides? Like mm-hmm. he was improving week in and week out. You were just seeing it. We haven't really seen that comparable change across the men in general and definitely not on the not black not the black male tennis player. well i feel like the the most interest that's all true and i think that's all out there for everyone to see the more interesting part of what howard said is why can't they thrive in this environment 
And, you know, I think as we, as black people in our ally Pablo, I, I think it's clear they're not welcomed. They're not welcomed. And you can't put somebody in a situation where they are being shit on before they even got there and expect them to be the best. You know, we talked about before we started how black people tend to thrive in every, every sport out there that they're involved in and they're the best. And in tennis, that just isn't the case. But if you've ever, you know, been to tennis, which we all have here live, you, you don't see a good representation of yourself in any capacity, unless you're wiping tables down. I mean, why do we think that, um, America especially does have a pool of talent, but they're not being nurtured because the USTA doesn't want to nurture them. There's a reason. And the USTA has, has a black representation in there now. You got Martin and the Katrina, Katrina mm -hmm. and the rest, but it's not. Yeah. But the culture changes you before you change the culture. Well, well, one thing, right. one thing. Let's talk about this, but let's talk about this a little bit though. Because Janina, to your point about the environment being problematic, but I think Howard makes a good point. Like, where are the talented players who have a game that can be transformed by how? Like, is it like chicken or egg or what? Like, because I mean, are, you, at, are we basically saying that the, the the people with the talent are probably just going elsewhere? Well, look well, at Coco. Look at Coco Golf. Look where she's training at and who she's training with. It's not here. It's not here. Mm -hmm. I was about to mention that that years ago, um, I mean, black people, particularly in the performing arts, writing, singing, they left America. Um, mm -hmm. Not to say that the Europe is less racist, but I don't think they would encounter. They are being shielded by their Americanness, and they don't have to necessarily encounter that level of uh, that in-your-face restriction there would right. you know so and unnecessarily the internal politics because they're pain you know they're not part of the system yeah. um it's france i think as you can mm -hmm. see france you know whatever policy france has in place it's letting every and sundry color race creed thrive within that system you can get there they just don't have a good system altogether to get to the next level um, uh, to be, you know, established on the pro level. And I think America has lacked that a lot because I do not understand how America can be so multicultural, particularly in the major city areas. And you're not seeing a more diverse group of people that come up within its ranks. Well, well, like Jen Brady should be, should, should be Juanita. You know what I mean? Should be Jen Brady could should easily be somebody else. I mean, like they should be not just black, not just white. They should be Hispanic. They should be Asian. A lot more. I mean, like America should have like fields and fields of teams. Yeah, but they don't. Wait, 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 wait. So, um, Howard and then Pablo. I was just gonna say. I mean, I think black women have way more possibilities. Because, I mean, let's think about this in terms of the money, right? If you are a black male athlete, A-list athlete in this country, if you've got plus talent, there are plenty of opportunities for you to make huge money in different places. If you are a plus talent woman in this country, tennis is the best place to go. It pays the yep. most. It pays the best, mm -hmm. right? So I think one of the things worth talking about in this too is this idea, and I remember talking to to the McEnroe's about this. I was in the, remember in the green room one day and I'm listening to McEnroe, you know, John's talking about how, 
you know, we need to tap into these black athletes. Look at them. Look at LeBron. Look at Kobe. Look at him. And why can't and why aren't they here? Put Kobe Bryant on a tennis court as a six-year-old and Jesus. And I'm like, okay, okay. But then I'm also listening to it this way. You go back and look at the history of black tennis. You know, <laughs> where Arthur Ashe and Althea and the rest of them came from. They didn't come from this underserved charity thing. They came from a black mm -hmm. nurturing environment that taught them to be, you know, citizens and full citizens, not this you know, that this belongs to you. This, you know, the ATA, this is yours. This, this is your circuit. It's your tournament. You're going to be taught by Black players. You're going to be watched by Black people. And you're going to be able to thrive in this environment. And you're going to, we're going to send you out and prepare you to do this the right way, right? Today, when we talk about Black people in tennis, all we're doing is talking about charity. We're talking about underserved communities and all yep. that other stuff. And that changes everything. You walk in there, it's like it, it, it's like walking into a place knowing full well you're the only person on scholarship, right? Everybody else, like when you walk into the private And school, they let you know that too. They, let, they let you know, you know that it from the millisecond you get in here that the only reason you're in here is because somebody else is paying for you to be here. What does that look like for you, Pablo? You had a point. Um, is, is that a contrast that you notice in the English system? Um, well, I probably know more about the American system than I do mm -hmm. the, the British system, but I think there are a number of points here. One, I think uh, talent, it isn't there. And one of the reasons it, within, say, the black players, you have a, a bevy of, of five or six who are decent players, but I don't know if they have the talent or if they have the level of competitiveness to push them uh, to up another two or three levels. And I, I come back to that in, in a minute. Um, I think there's another issue here, two, two issues, but they're interrelated. Tennis in the States has always been a white person sport. Um, there have been the odd black person that succeeded. And uh, sometimes they rise up the ranks like Catriona and they go into managerial or executive positions and they can do something, but they're rare. And it's, that's true of all non-white ethnicities within the States, whether they're Asian, whether they're Latino, Latino, whatever. And I think one of the reasons tennis has been very much a white person's game in the States is socioeconomic. It's belonging to clubs, it's being able to pay for coaching, etc., etc. And I'm, I'm reminded of when the USTA was backing Sloan and they were paying Sloan millions to get her tennis career together. She was earning millions at the time and they continued playing. And I just thought to myself, imagine taking that money and going into a community where you see there is there are prospects at grassroots and you, you are able to start changing something. Because Sloan doesn't need another million dollars from the USTA, she's gonna make plenty of money. Uh, in her career, but you could uh, redirect that into it's it you know it reminds me a little bit you know like the groups that went around very quietly and got people signed up to vote at the last general election right and that's what changed it in Georgia and other places it's action on the ground and i I think if you also if you're a young kid and you're looking up and you see LeBron and you see what he's earning and then you see what um, Francis is earning. 
Oh, Serena. Yeah, yeah, man, Serena, yeah. But look where they came from. Look at their backstory. Struggle, struggle, struggle. Yeah. It wasn't, a, um, it wasn't an open door, right? It wasn't an open absolutely door. Absolutely right? not. So it's like, uh, and I guess, I mean, to your point, um, Howard, how you raised the question about the loss of kind of that black network, which I know Reels has yes. spent quite a lot of time mm -hmm. reading about. Like, do we see that we have to bring that back? I think that, I, I think you cannot, I think you're going to need that. And I mean, in and of itself, and, and and let's be honest, tennis is a very unique sport, and it's there are problems whether you're black, white, whatever the difference is. Right, being on the road a lot. I mean, it is commitment. So yes, Pablo, having no I, teammates. There are no teammates. It's easy to perhaps start the tennis club on the ground, but sustaining it, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like the commitment to getting these players and around the place, all over the place. This is why I think the USTA isn't necessarily interested in developing talent. And in fact, you know, I have a theory: American don't develop talent, they just accidentally find it. I mean, they don't know. I mean, because if you go to the sports where black people are dominating, there is a history of black people nurturing that. Um, track and field, down south, Tennessee Bell, the women. I mean, mm -hmm. track and field is one of the only places where black women could thrive. And 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 black, black men had no problem with women playing sports. So that's one of the reasons why there's a huge um history of black women playing sport but i do think you know tennis in of itself it's a lonely space but it's also a lot of microaggression and being a black player let's say come from america and dealing with the microaggressions that you would feel within european atmosphere within america it's a lot so i think you're not going to want to you know push the boat you're not going to rock the boat basically you're going to be there and i think there needs to be a network yeah, um, I also, and, and I think ahead, it's really. the only way it's going to work if there is a network of people who understand what you're doing, understand where you're coming from, and can support you. Otherwise, yeah. it's going to be difficult. You're right, Pablo. Um, there is a need for talent. That is true. But one of the things I think it goes back to the heart of the question that we were asking about, it's the coaching. Even when you do find someone, it's very difficult to thrive when you're in, a, when you're in an, oppressing, an oppressive yeah, um, environment. Sorry. You well, cannot yeah. write, no matter how talented you are. The microaggression, I, I, you know, people like no, you know. I, I get, but isn't that grist to the mill? That is, that is what made Serena and Venus what they are. Well, it depends exactly. And it is, it, and it is, it is. Yeah, but, yeah but absolutely right. Just, um, but can we introduce the gendered question here? Because I think we've been talking. We we're very clear that from black male tennis players, it's a very different thing. Yeah. Hey, Andrew, can I throw this out quickly? Yep. Um, the I say this all the time in in all types of um, examples. The culture changes you before you change the culture. And one of the biggest places, like the difference between the NBA, let's take three sports, for example, mm -hmm. take the three majors here, take the NBA, take Major League Baseball and take football, right? Baseball forces you to adapt to that 150-year-old redneck-ass sport that it is that if you draw attention to yourself, what's going to happen? They're going to throw the ball at you, right? At 95 miles an hour, someone's going to throw a baseball at you if you show any sort of individualism, right? And in a modern television image-based age, and also add into it that historical black flair that we have, right? 
you walk into that environment and you're automatically in a hostile environment. Like Ken Griffey Jr. used to talk about the fact that, and he grew up in the game, his father played major league baseball, that I went to batting practice with my hat on backwards one day and they were, you know, treating me like I had, you know, that I had shamed the roots of the foundation of the sport, right? The National Football League, that sport controls your money. Right. So they have this mil the NFL is a militaristic sport. It's this next man up, you know, trenches and listen to all the war, all the war analogies and everything else that, you know, and they and they battle constantly with the fact that you've got a 70 percent black workforce who plays the game with a certain level of swagger. They play the game you know, and, you know, they, they throw flags and everything else trying to prevent you or tamp down your enthusiasm for your natural style. And so that's what this constant battle is. You know, now they let you celebrate when you, you know, when you, you know, score a touchdown or make an interception, you can go into the end zone now and they all do their little camera dances and everything else. They had to negotiate that through collective bargaining. That's how badly <laughs> the league was like, we don't want black individualism and sort of black flavor. Mm -hmm. The NBA is totally different. The NBA adapts to the people who play it. It's a black game. It's a black street game. It's a black hardcore game. And now you go into the NBA and I mean, the NBA, they play music while the game's playing. It's a totally right. different sport. The NBA is very welcoming to the black male style. So here we are in tennis and you get a couple of people. I remember being at the US Open when you know, Donald Young beat Wawrinka in that, you know, that crazy first or second round match, right? And and Donald Young was all hyped up, black male hype, basketball hype, looking at it the same way that we look at black male athletes. And there were so many people I saw going like, you know, this isn't the NBA. They were really racially coding his behavior on court. You see it too with, with, with Francis. When Francis starts winning, he does his little LeBron thing and rips his shirt off and does all that stuff. And you could see people kind of uncomfortable with that black male style. Does they that cringe. Belong, and they cringe. Does mm -hmm. that belong here? Donald Young had a whole treatise exactly. about mm -hmm. wearing, the hat, wearing his hat backwards. And wearing his hat crooked and sideways. And, and Martina Navratilova and company lost their freaking mind when Nick mm -hmm. and Serena came on with headphones. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and now, they all, now they proud. all do, right? But do we want that black male style in this sport? I mean, and I so, do. Well, I mean, <laughs> but what I'm saying is that you want exactly. That. But what I'm saying is, is that that contributes to this do. idea of hostile environment. That this is they the don't want it. and but, they but, want you to act like a tennis player. Yeah, but, and there is a very hold on. There's a very defined um, structure of what that looks like. Act like a tennis player. Mm -hmm. It is very defined. And the the stereotypical black athlete doesn't even come close to fitting that's in right. that box. Well, and that's okay, one of the okay. reasons why when we talk about Serena, I mean, this is a style question. And this is the reason why I think when we're watching the commentary, it's not just the fact that Serena stands are incredibly sensitive about Serena. It's also the fact that people are very much aware of the coding of all that cultural yep. coding when you walk into that environment. So I, I, I go ahead, yeah, Pablo. I, one thing I wanted to add here is, um, it is virgin territory, basically. Also, um, it's a new place. And uh, think about it. Other than James Blake, who's the most successful black American tennis player? You know, player? Pablo, can I stop you? That's right not there? in the current crop. Yep. I was going to say, you know who's actually sort of facing this as well? Is Kyrgios. Kyrgios tries to bring yes. tennis 
like yeah. a basketball player. He he shows up with that sort of team sport, you know, American, you know, attitude that people go, that's not tennis. I'm sorry, Paolo, yeah. go ahead. But I was just thinking about that sort of style question. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll come on to him uh, because he's an interesting example of the pluses and the minuses. He is facing anti-blackness and the same sort of behavior that sort of is reserved for black players. And he's not black. And yeah, well, et- et- ethnically, he's not black. I mean, historically, maybe. But he brings he brings a, a, a but he brings he brings the energy, and then he makes no secret, mm-hmm. right? He makes no secret about who he's emulating. But I, I just want to point out, Andrine brings a very interesting point about gender, and I think gender is part of the the, the question here, because, and it goes back to sex. Um, in in many spaces. Um, in, in many white spaces, gender plays an issue as to who they would easily, who they would accept more, depending on whatever it is. Um, for example, like ballet, they would accept a black male dancer over a black female dancer. Um, skin colorism matters. I think in tennis, it's easier to accept the black female body, though it's often problematic, as we know, over the black male body. Because guess what's going to happen? Guess what? The tennis Girl, has- can I tell you? <laughs> They're thinking about these quote unquote, these hot, virile young men, fit bodies. We know tennis players are fit. They don't always know how to dress themselves, which is another issue. Showing up at the country club. And guess what? Nifty and, and, and Cindy is going to carry going to lose their minds. And this is <laughs> like, they just imagine this because imagine the problem. I mean, because we, we know how this works when it comes to when we see it in basketball and sports and whatever the case may be. I mean, Women throw themselves at athletes no matter what. You know, men too. Men, men, women, everybody throw themselves at athletes because they're the fittest of the people out there. They're accessible, whatever the case may be. I don't think tennis establishment is willing to see themselves or open themselves to that idea of black males um, dominating it. I mean, look, I mean, but John Isner losing his freaking mind over Monfils because he mm-hmm. knows Monfils has the juice. Yeah, that was a great match. And, that and I mean, like, every, was so no one is coming. It. I mean, you look at Monfils, and I mean, Monfils is who brought basically Monfils has the same energy as Usain Bolt, right? But without the resume, right? Just imagine and without, if and without, and without doing the hard work. With, well, I don't, yeah. you know, and I don't but, want to say that because I think this but, is one of the again, it, it, it goes back strange. to let's I mean, not talk about this thing because there's this narrative about Monfils not working hard, he doesn't, and, and he hasn't. But I don't. I and it's any, well known. And it's any, well known. I don't even know if that's the case because any coach that I've, that's ever talked about Monfils does not necessarily that mostly Monfils is not a hard worker. That's not maybe he's not a smart worker, but that's not always been the thing that's lobbied against Monfils. Like yes, maybe he has to maximize his talent the way that we would have wanted to, but the narrative around Monfils is consistently about laziness. When, let's be honest, Monfils has been a top 50 player for a very long time. There are people who top have 20. a similar, yeah. And there top are people 15. who have had, sub, yeah. Like, and I think that this narrative around him being lazy is specific to Monfils. So much so that I hear people well, calling him. No one talks about Fonini in this manner. I mean, yeah, like, nobody talks about any of the black. others who are similarly engaged in kind of a certain persona on court. 
But there's a labeling that happens with Monfils that I think is extremely racialized. Yeah, and that's the difference. Like, I, I don't disagree that he may not have, like you said, maximized his potential. I don't, I don't, I don't think I would ever call him lazy, but that is something that we reserve for the black man in tennis, right? Fonini and Monfils are mercurial, talented. Uh, doesn't work hard enough. Doesn't want it. The behavior is all wrong, you know. And also, it goes to black women as well. Look how quick, you know, we can talk about Chrissy here and whatever. Chrissy is out here penning open letters to Serena. Girl, you well, need to break your legacy, but, et cetera, et cetera. But well, let's ain't go back a little bit. To BB. She well, ain't saying I was off the penka. She ain't saying that to all of these girls out well, here who have been struggling so, and not produce it. Well, no, 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 no. I, I, I need to, I want to come back on this. Yeah, come back around um, to that. But yeah, look, I just want to, I want us to be really careful because I remember when Monfils got together with um, uh, Fidelina, the narrative about, was that Fidelina was hard. going to make him work harder. Mm -hmm. And that to me is a real fine line. It does a, and, and also we just talk about Monfils coverage and how people talk about Monfils and the way that they characterize his game and the way, I mean, they talk about him with sort of an animalistic framing, a lack of intelligence framing. Um, any other places you would say he's creative, you would say that all these are the elements around it. Now, fine. One thing I will say is that I think tennis does reward a certain kind of approach that I actually think I'll make the case. And I, I actually think is the antithesis of how black male athletes are thrive. I think they create an environment from a racialized perspective that I think is um, unwelcoming, but also just in terms of its approach to the sport in general, because I also think this generation isn't thriving either black or white. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason for that. And, and so I just kind of want us to be really careful about some of the things that we've heard and said about Monfils because I, first of all, he's a fave, but I also pay particular attention to it. And a lot of the language is super coded. Yeah. You know what else about Monfils? And I'm sorry, I don't know why I keep getting kicked out. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear yes. you. Yeah. 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 I was going to say, I think there's also something else about Monfils too. And that is the, he is also the antithesis of the sort of ferocious black male competitor, right? He's an easygoing, laid back, fun guy, right? He doesn't approach the game the way you expect a true competitor to. I mean, he really does, you know, he's a, he strikes me as a work-life balance guy, right? He's not, he doesn't cry after losses and he doesn't necessarily go, you know, wild over wins. And so people look at him, you know, he's a really curious, curious player in a lot of ways. And I think that, yes, when you compare him to what this sport has become, in terms of it is now over the last, you know, the, not really the Federer era, but certainly the Nadal-Djokovic era, Murray as well, that it's suddenly now become, you know, it's a five-hour game. So it's not, so now it's this endurance sport where you have to be willing to be out there and grind for five hours and 52 minutes or whatever the number is now. And, 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 and Monfils don't pay for your mm -hmm, future body. You're just, you're just investing in the now. <laughs> You don't care anything about your future body, right? Yeah, or perhaps you have the resources to fix this body right now for the future, which yeah. is tennis is a very intensive. It requires a lot of resources. These top guys are spending a lot of money that the other players do not have access to. 
Yeah, and I just feel like, I mean, I think Andrina is right when you look at, there's a certain application, whether it's, so it's it's a dual-sided thing. Okay, are we applying this to Monfils? And if so, because it's true, why aren't we applying this to other people who aren't, you know, Jack Sock looks like he ate a turkey before every match. I mean, he, he was the top, he was a top 10 guy. You know, they remember at one point he was the highest ranked American and all of a sudden he he came in completely like he's he's gone. He has disappeared and nobody has looked at him like gee, Jack Sock pissed away his career. Yet we hear it about Monfils every single match that he's not dedicated to his career. And so and and Pablo, I'm not arguing the point that yes, in circles does Monfils make the extra grind that puts him in the endurance category of you know of a Djokovic and of those guys no probably not and yes did he drink a can of coke during a grand slam match and did he really not come to play against Djokovic in that semi-final in the US Open sure all of the things are true but we are also applying to him a certain standard of coverage that doesn't exist for other people mm -hmm. I, I, like, I, I get that. Medvedev showed up in his final against Djokovic, but <laughs> another thing entirely. But anyway, go ahead, Pablo. Um, I stand by what I said about Monfils because he doesn't put the work in. He would much rather hang with his friends. Mm -hmm. And it unfortunately, and, and unfortunately, that fits a, a racial stereotype that that Andrine was elaborating on. And I just wanted to say on that racial stereotype, put a black tennis player on a court and count the minutes it will take for usually the white commentators to mention the word athletic. Yeah, they have such athletic bodies. Oh, what amazing athleticism. It's used every single time to describe a black person. And it is, it's coded language of course that you're an animal and that's why you have these like a you know whatever this is why you have these special skill athletic skills and it never fails every single time and they used to say oh well serene is very intimidating and then they after being told several times you know you don't need to use these nasty old racist tropes about black women they'd say they tried to use words like dominating work, but they wouldn't find the conviction. They <laughs> exactly. They, yeah, they couldn't bring themselves you know, to say it. Pablo, I remember I was at which match was it? I was at a Wimbledon match. I was on center. And I remember Serena was playing, I don't know, early round match in at least, you know, some young Eastern European white woman who had no chance to win or whatever. And it was the it was hilarious because when she stepped on court and of course you've got the Wimbledon contrast of wearing all white with her, you know, dark skin and sweating and the whole thing. And it was like, Oh my goodness, the stereotypes are, they're all coming out right now. And whenever, <laughs> whenever, whenever Serena even swung, I was watching the crowd and they were taken aback. It was like, it was really like a movie. It was like, it's like, is this like King Kong or something? Right? They were like frightened whenever she hit the ball and she would make, you know, and of course Serena makes noise when she hits the ball. And it was like, you know, what, what chance does this poor young white girl have against this beast, right? <clears throat> and then you like look and you look at the statistics and you go, oh, wait a minute. Serena is 5'9", 150 pounds. Angelique Kerber is 5'8", 155 pounds. 
And you start looking at them and you look at, you know, like Naomi Osaka is five. Naomi Osaka is bigger than Serena. 5'11". <laughs> She's 5'11", 165 pounds. Lindsay. Right? Serena just said Lind no one hits the ball as hard as Lindsay Davenport. Lindsay She's Davenport like 6'3". <laughs> oh, she definitely. Rails, that's a really good comparison because no one would dare accuse Lindsay of being intimidating or ferocious mm -hmm. uh, or use these kind of words when she was playing. And she was. She was hitting the shit out of the ball. Madison Keys. Madison Keys. Maria is taller than Serena. Yeah. But yet, they're saying Serena intimidate Maria. But, but I mean, you know what? I want to. I want to. I want to. I want to get us back on track because we're trying to solve the black male tennis player problem. We, okay. Can I just? Can I just add wait, one little thing that I'd start I, I just want to segue into when we were here. talking about Virgin Terry. Go ahead. Um, other mm -hmm. than James Blake, can you name the most successful black player uh, before the current generation? Who comes to mind? Probably Mal Washington, right? Malavai, Malavai is the only one. Malavai. So there's this but, lack, but, this lack of role models of successful well, black. Uh, uh, like a, I was talking in to tennis. Art Harrington about this, and Art was, you know, he came up out of the ATA and he played, you know, and he, you know, he played with Ash and the, part of that group and everything, and he told me point blank, it wasn't my talent. It wasn't my talent that prevented me from playing longer on the on the ATP tour. I was done by 75. He's like, I couldn't handle the white backdrop. I'll just admit it. That shit is mine and I will own it. I couldn't handle it. He's like, Arthur, Arthur could navigate and he could code switch and he could do all those right. things. Yeah. I, 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 I gather that. That. That's, that's, that's what I think. And I think Altia couldn't deal with it for too long. Mm -hmm. It was just exhausting. Well, you know what? Because she, because she, she yeah. had to also deal with the gendered issue. I mean, yeah. it's a whole different thing when you're being someone is checking to see whether you're actually a woman. Arthur wasn't going through that <laughs> issue. Well, you know what? Then, well, I, this is the thing. I'll, so, can we can we talk about this then? Because what, what we're putting up is we're putting up these parameters that are not changing, right? So, what we're saying is, are we establishing that this is a white sport, and for a black male tennis player to be in this sport the white gaze is very powerful how do you how does one tackle that but i just want i just i just want i just want to add to this thing that we, because we have been talking about um this situation not in the sort of external issue right the things that they have to deal with externally but no, i think kind of <laughs> but 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 i think part of the problem issue is that the player the black male player black players on a whole it's facing this on a personal level. Like they're hearing this from their coach. That well, and, and their peers. I mean, how do you and their peers? How do you so this is this isn't something you just have to navigate the system as the ATP, but just in the everyday, your boss is like, I mean, I've worked in white spaces and I can't even begin to tell you the kind of shit that bosses would say to me. Like, are you mm -hmm. kidding me? Like oh just on a over something really simple and silly, the, the microaggression. And again, tennis being a lonely sport, there is no real immediate, you know, um, well, support and, system and, right then and there. Just sort of like navigate and deal with that. Um, and I just want to just acknowledge, uh, Chad was speaking of a story um, about seeing Michael Mo play, because, you know, he follows Michael Mo. Thanks for keeping my babe in check, um, Chad. Um, he speak about when, you know, Michael Mo won a match and just how the crowd would behave. They want to touch his hair. They want to touch his body. He said it was very get-out-ish, which, I mean... They don't, that's kind of, I mean, yeah, I, I be honest, be honest, reals. 
every day. You're you're at the front of the queue there. I mean, but just from a personal appreciation style, not from a, I'm going to put you in my basement. Exactly. Um, yes. <laughs> human. I know he's full 100% human. I just want to know yeah. him on a personal level. But I mean, <laughs> I mean, and he's going to be, I mean, like, I mean, seeing a crowd of white children treat you, I mean, like, and it's, Children, children, and adults. Freak show. Mm -hmm. I mean, like it is. Ugh. Uh, okay. It is, well, okay. Let's remember I, I, a couple I, things here too, right? Wait, let's wait, wait, wait. Um, go ahead, Howard, and then Pablo. I was just gonna say, let's also remember too that you know what Reels is talking about. Um, just two quick points. One, this is what we all deal with, whether you're an accountant, whether you're a journalist, whether you're a tennis player, in terms of right. feeling like something belongs to you. But number two. You know, imagine trying to play Davis Cup with the American Magas as your teammates. You've got John Isner and Ryan. Yeah. And Pablo, while Howard is um, recovering, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, I just think it, it was worth pulling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was going to say, the, say the other point. The, I was gonna say the other point that I was going to make there too was let's also not forget the fact that it was James Blake, if I'm not mistaken, Pablo, correct me on this. That you know when he was playing Hewitt, oh, you're just giving the black guy the call when he had a black cherum. So these guys, you uh, know, yeah, Howard, you know, I was there. <laughs> oh, you you <laughs> yeah, two thousand and one, U.S. Open. Um, Blake lost it in five, but at one point, Hewitt said to the chair umpire, he's just called it out, look at him, what have they got in common? And the line umpire was black. Yeah, I remember And that. it was just pure, pure racism. Just and pure racism. And, <laughs> and from an uneducated little shit. <laughs> and it had Somebody to be, who, yeah. He is, he's an uneducated little shit. But here's the you saw but, but I do the, think that, that situation with that was compounded even more because it was on James Blake to address and deal with exactly. the matter. Mr. Harvard guy. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it, it was James had to come out and show grace, and uh, and Hubert just had to say, "I'm not exactly. racial. I'm not racial, you guys. Yeah. I am the least racial person you would ever." <laughs> so I want to. So I want to. Around to this, I want to come back around to this a little bit because what we started was, I think, on some level, we raised this because we understood the environment was going to be hostile. Because, right. as you said, everyone encounters this in 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 spaces where you are not the part of the majority group. So, one thing I think we wanted to talk about because of it was the the role of the coach. How does a coach help a player navigate these spaces? Because that's the closest person to you. So do you think that there is a role Especially for a particular there are no kind of coaches in the sport? Yeah. Anyway? There is. Okay. A Let me put something controversial in here. Sure. You don't need a black male coach. You need a coach of the quality of somebody like Larry Stefanke, a guy who comes from working class roots, who took who was prepared to do the hard work to take players who had talent but were underdeveloped. He took Marcelo Rios to number one. He took Yevgeny Kafelnikov to number one. He took Roddick. He squeezed every last ounce of talent out of Andy Roddick yes. because he's a fucking workhorse and he, he he's a disciplinarian and he will make people work. He turned down Dimitrov because he said Dimitrov was more interested in looking like 
baby fed and doing the work. He turned down Jeannie Bouchard because she wants to do photo shoots. She's not a tennis player. You can't do both. And what I would love is for, you look at Michael Moe, he's got problems, technical problems in his game. Same with Chris, same with Francis. I would love that one of them would take the position that they're going to invest heavily in somebody of the quality of Stefanki and do what do what they're told and submit to the cat to the count. Yeah. Oh, see that narrative already. I'm going to say this already problematic. The people who you are talking about, the people you have mentioned in Stefanki's um, environment. I think there is part. I, I would say first, you do need a sort of a coach. You need a special coach. Um, there is no doubt about that. I mean, in, in, for every, and I'm thinking historically here, for every Black person I know who have thrived in non-people of color environment, in difficult esoteric environment like opera, dance, and whatever, they have had a mentor and someone who has been there yep. and someone who has supported them and protected them, protected them. They have protected them from the harsh reality of what was out there. It's not to say that they were, the protected system was perfect, and it also had to be, and it, there were also gaps that this person um, put in place that it doesn't, it wasn't always perfect. Because I mean, like when I'm talking about like black people in esoteric environment, they had FBI have had to create files for these people because racist threats would come every single day. And I, I, I imagine, I mean, Serena and Venus have faced threat people drowning their dogs, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, but I do, oh, I, I do think right. that you do need that when it comes to the black players, you're going to need more than just the work horse type of like, you know, the person who it, it, there, there needs to be more because they will not be able to understand when a player is in an environment, in a situation, a racist situation. Can Stefanki actually You're gonna need somebody who's a workhorse and who gets it? And say, oh, go out and hit more forehands. That's not gonna work. It's the I mean, like, but, yeah, no, no, I, 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 there's an element of realism here. But there's even an element of realism. Sorry. But even Wimfacet makes that point, right? Like when he's talking about coaching Naomi Osaka, you have to understand what it meant for her to do the Black Lives Matter thing. It, I mean, he was very dismissive on some level when he talked about it like it was a throwaway, but. You also have to understand within the, the context within which your player is playing and what is going to make them comfortable. Like he's already acknowledged the role of her parents. He's acknowledged the, uh, the role that, that she wanted to take from an activist standpoint in the middle of um, a, a tournament. Like I just think that in some ways, I've from the players and the coaches I've heard speak, they don't seem to have a real grounding and understanding about all of the context of the environment well, do and you, yes. coming do you understand? Once again, here is the issue. Are you adapting to the people who play the sport or are you asking the people mm -hmm. who play the sport to adapt to it? The, the type of people, like for example, and I think this is like, you know, and Dan and I were talking about this offline with Reels as well, about all the commentary about Chrissy I've written about the, the, com the, the media commentary when it comes to these matches. Are you going to recognize that you're talking about a different group of people? Like, for example, how can you talk about the legacy of the Williams sisters and how they've changed the game and how they've opened the door to all these different new types of diverse people who are playing it and then not recognize the experience of that diversity? So essentially what you're really saying is, is if we're only going to, to, to take one piece of it, which is to right. say the you know, look at all these different types of, look at this rainbow of people the Williams sisters have brought into the sport. 
but we're not going to acknowledge that they come from different backgrounds, have different needs, require different things, and are in hostile environments, then essentially what you're saying is, we need you to become white as fast as possible in order for you to thrive here. And also added to that, I mean, my favorite thing is that they like to praise you for overcoming adversity, forgetting that they were the adversity. Like Muhammad mm -hmm. Ali. Like Muhammad Ali is the greatest player, whatever the case is. He didn't like that dude. Y'all y'all told him to get out of town. Y'all ended his career. There's so many athletes who have lost their career because of this situation, you know, like oh, racism yes. and just the politics around involved. I mean, they've killed career. And, and like I said, it is a very difficult sport to navigate, you know what I mean, on, in and of itself. And it's I think when sport. you add the racial, in a racial element, right? And it's also expensive, mm -hmm. right? It's not, it's, it's, this is not a, because so, and you know, tennis don't deal with unions and you're dealing with a environment in terms of, and the players can't really get any headway to change much of anything really. You just have to yeah. make a lot of money and be the top player and hope that the top player involved is smart because otherwise so, you're in trouble. So really- Can I just we... ask though, how, how do you, only because I just saw that Yvette says that, mm -hmm. I, think, I think she means my comment is very problematic. She's probably right. And then she's always right. Um, how do you get around the, the reason I said you need people of, and I picked somebody like Stefanki, only because he's absolutely working class to his core and his approach to the work ethic and everything is, I don't give a shit about you earning money. I give a shit about you squeezing every ounce of talent you have on the tennis court. And how do we do that? Well, Pablo, I and, think that that's important. I think that that's, you have to have access to coaching like that. But I think the conversation here really is about who is going to help you navigate this world. Well, and, and if yes. it isn't, so where, well, if so it's not someone. Fact, sure. That was my point about why I asked the question, that who, other than James Blake, there's only been Mal Washington. Right. So now, so where, where do you draw? Where do you draw? Where are we going to get these people, people from? Right. As mentors, where are they going to come from? But it has. But I think the calculation. I think the piece that Yvette is talking about that's problematic is that in your in your offering, what you're suggesting mm -hmm. are failures on the individual level. Mm -hmm. What we're trying to say. No. And no, 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 no. I don't think they. I wouldn't call them failures. No, barriers. no, I mean, but barriers. But what I'm also trying to argue here, because that's that's kind of why we come up with in other contexts. It's why we come up with KIPP schools. It's why we come, what we do is we uh -huh. end up changing black children by making uh -huh. them in, by creating environments that are entirely about disciplinarianness, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm going to break you down. Definitely. No one says, if I allow you to play, if I allow, if I'm nurturing you, if I'm creating an environment where your talents are allowed to come alive, that you can actually thrive. What well, actually, they do in the, the French and then we make fun of them for doing it. Yeah, because what you end up because doing is that, putting them when in. When that whole group was, yeah, because yeah, when that whole group was coming up, they were like, "Look at Monfils and look at Gasquet and look at Sandra." And the yeah. French way is that they just allow them to be and create and improv, and everyone's like, "Yeah, they don't want it bad enough, <laughs> right?" Yeah, they get and, and, then becomes, that. and then it becomes that, right? But the thing that's interesting to me about it is like what we're talking about. You're right; is a is a combination, and I think the assumption has always been that potentially like a working class coach could be that especially in contrast to the fact that tennis is such a white country club sport. So there's often that contrast. But one thing to note about often working class people is they have very strong anti-blackness. I was going to say, the working, look at where they are, the working class. The working class actually- They're bringing the most racist stuff to it. Yes, they generally do. They're fighting us for the jobs. 
Exactly. And so there is that element. I'm not making any of those claims about what's happening there. But I just think what we're trying to say is it's not that you need people who, yes, you're always going to need someone who's going to work on your technique. You're always going to need someone who's going to help try to perfect your game. That is probably the easiest part of the tennis equation. But one of the things that we also are becoming really clear on is how intimate the relationship is between a coach and a player. Mm -hmm. And so you don't understand the socio economic dynamics of the sport itself, that really cuts against your ability to offer that up to another player. Because even someone like, say, a Stan Wawrinka, which, by the way, Stan Wawrinka's reputation was similar Mm -hmm. to Olfis's reputation. Just go to Switzerland and listen to how Mm -hmm. they talk about him, right? Like, he had that reputation. He found a coach that said to him, well, you know what? You have something that I think you could bring to the table. That was a late in the game transformation. It really was. What did he right? first make her? 27? Exactly. <laughs> and now we can look at him and everybody's like, Stan's a workhorse. That's that's a recent. Stan is half of the, it's half of the big four. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. Well, right. By the way, let's, <laughs> can we just throw uh, one quick thing out? Just but for, I mean, just for hold on, Reels. Hold on. Go ahead. So I'm just I'm bringing it around to say that those are the elements that I think um, one of the I, to your point. Yes, you're always looking for that coach. But what we're arguing is that that it's not enough to just find that you've no, got to an awareness of yeah, what this environment yeah. is. I, yeah, I think there are two two quick things to think about. One is it, it we have to assume right for our baseline of these conversations that for black men, this is a hostile environment. Right. That's the first thing. Number two just from a humor standpoint, because we all have to laugh. Think about think about the narrative of David Ferrer, right? The grittiest little beast, one of the hardest grinders ever. Nobody works harder than David Ferrer. Nobody outworks him. Nobody works harder, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so every Ferrer match, somebody would bring up the fact that he didn't work hard as a teenager and Javier Pilas used to lock him in a closet. <laughs> they used to tell that little anecdote all the time until he like- Wasn't he always like out back what, smoking? Right, yeah, hang exactly. on. Which is a mm-hmm. yeah, hang on. That that's a I believe that's a fake anecdote. As is mm-hmm. the anecdote about his father telling him to go and be a to work on a building site. Yeah, where he, would, he went. But they would bring uh, that up every went, match. Oh, of course they will. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I, I have to also part of the dynamic. Sorry, that sorry, to, sorry, Rails. I need. Go to ahead. Sorry, to, go ahead. We, we've got we've got we've got drama in the chat, uh, and it's it is <laughs> uh, no, it is a good point. The only, two black, the only two black men, lo- lovely drama girl, has made the point that the only two black men who've won a slam and who are, in a way, connected, we're not talking about them. No, no and Ash. Right. Well, yeah, I, I mean... They, I, and they, and they, had an, they had relationships with each other, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they, we also mean they figured out how to navigate and we this also space. Somebody who was able to navigate more of a mentor. Yeah. yeah. But also Ash knew the environment. Ash was very conscious of the fact that he was in a white space. And he yes. and he was very aware of needing to transform himself as needed for the spaces that he was in. He's a first timer, right? That's you're the first. So yeah. you are you're the Jackie Robinson. Yep. Yeah. Yes. You're barrier so breaker. Yeah. You're doing Art used to tell me. Art used to tell me all the time. He would be like, Arthur was the only one anybody would listen to. He says, no matter what issue it was, he goes, Arthur could have been halfway around the world if there was some sort of black issue. The federations would have to go get Arthur on speed. I said Arthur was in the middle of stuff that wasn't even his problem, but he was the one that they would listen to. 
And so that's what I mean also about hostile environment. And I would throw one other thing out there too, right? One of the guys that we don't talk about very much is Sangha, right? And Sangha as a player, to me, there's only one reason why Sangha didn't win a slam. That's because his, his backhand wasn't good enough. His, his backhand wasn't good enough. His body, maybe, but his backhand wasn't good enough. If his backhand was a little bit stronger, I don't even know if we're having this conversation because he could compete with all of them. Right. I mean, it just wasn't quite good. And of course, I remember he finally came out and said, I'm just not good enough. He like admitted, I'm just not good enough to compete with those guys, with those three guys. But I, um, I think that's part of the thing that we need to discuss here as well. I mean, just to I mean, not to put aside about but because we're because of the, eventually, you know, we're talking about results. Right. And I think part of the equation is that like the NBA, Michael Jordan, you were in a lot of careers. Right, Charles Barkley don't have a ring. That's why he's out here talking so much. Um, is that I think when you're living in an era, this unfortunate era, whatever it's worth, with you know Novak and Federer and Nadal. I mean, David, it's. I mean, like you had to beat three of these alone. people. You, I mean, like, I mean, Delpo did it, and Delpo was never the same again. He was never the same again. It literally broke Delpo's body. <laughs> <laughs> to win a major. This is my in, this is my favorite in this era. So I mean, L maybe actually, if uh, if we true. had one or two of them, if one of them exists, I like Federer, and Nadal was just perhaps contending at the clay, we can you know people were willing to like we forget have, about it, whatever. Let let Nadal have the French, but you have to uh, let me let me give you a, people all the time. You, so I think it probably ruined a lot of. That's probably the issue here. That's part well. of the issue so that's a, that's about, about winning, right? about probably transforming the sport. And then you've got three major champions playing. That's also ruined a lot of white players' careers. Right. Well. I mean, and not only that, but ruined a lot of them. I mean, for example, like <laughs> how, how? What are we going to say about the French Open careers of 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 Roger and Novak? They got but one piece. <laughs> I mean, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, but but here's the other thing too. Nadal has ruined Spanish tennis because yeah. the French Open was where the Armada was making some kind of noise, right? And the and the South really? American players, they were owning the French. They were they were contending on the clay because here's the thing: with Nadal around, you can't even win a clay court tournament. You can't even you win a one. Of them. Mm -hmm. You yeah, gotta go. Uh, Dominic uh, Team uh, had to go on his trade in Buenos Aires. One second, what's the point you want to ask, Pablo? Um, it just occurred to me that how temporal is this issue in that we've seen success for people like Ash and Yannick Noah in the basically the 1970s, and then we have had Serena through the late 90s, etc., etc., and, and Venus, and so on. Um, one comparison that uh, and i'm wondering how is it more difficult now for a let's say a black male tennis player to do what's required or to to, to make headway than it was say 10 years ago when or 15 years ago when james blake was playing and i i, I just illustrate this with one example from another sport soccer here in the uk i've seen a lot more soccer since i've i came back um and I've seen a lot more on social media about soccer and so on. The most talented players in the UK are black players. The level of racism in, since I would say the last year or two is off the charts. 
whether it's shouting them at matches or on social media. And I, I feel partly it is related to the political Brexit? climate. I was going to say, is it yes. Brexit? Exactly. Yeah, partly mm -hmm. Brexit, but it's populism, the sort of thing that yeah. 75 million Americans voted for Trump for. 100%. It's this dirty, nasty, atavistic, disgusting, classless shit they carry about well, other didn't people. Didn't we go through that, Pablo, as well? At the uh, Was it the 2000, let me see if I get my World Cups right, was it 2006 when they were talking about the French team not really being truly French? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, not 2006, um, last World Cup, actually, because France mm -hmm. won the last World Cup. And the French <laughs> are, um, yes, most, of, most, of the players are most, of, most of the players are from former colonies. Well, stop colonizing colonizers. I mean, they were not white. That's just it. They were not white. Yeah, yeah. They were not white. Uh, because France has a very interesting system about whether or not you are, um, but they were definitely. France don't like to say colonies, and they are part of some of them were probably from overseas department, like in Guadeloupe and Martinique. But everyone noticed the diverse still colonies. Um, they're still colonies, but like I said, France don't yeah. say that, and that's what um, <laughs> that's what was saying. That's his point. He's just like these people are French, okay? There yes. are no hyphenated French people. There is no African French. There's no French African. There is just French, right? And he doesn't understand that space, right? He doesn't understand. And I think that's what I think that's what we're getting at because this isn't even so much so the results, right? Whether you're winning majors or not, because winning majors is a whole other situation. And as you can see now, even if you only four are, of them, only four people do it. Regularly. Exactly. You know, we, we can literally come regular career. <laughs> exactly. We're just talking about regular career. I think there is a sort of an in, that, that the environment is very difficult um, that for, for players of color. Um, I don't know how. I, I'm sure um, Asians and and, and um, Hispanic probably face some level of microaggression, but I, I do know particularly I can speak particularly for Black and Pan African group well, I that think we can be very specific here. This is Black History Month, right? We don't black. Have to try I mean, to yeah. it, so we may as well. We're talking about Black players. I know, but I just want to say that it, it is difficult. But for the African, it is a very very difficult space to navigate, and I can imagine that psychic energy and pressure. It's very difficult. And when you deal with, a, like, for example, that, that situation that Michael Moore dealt with, right? And we're also forgetting this is a social media age where any, I mean, for example, I can tweet to Andrew Rublev and ask him, why are you in Feliciano Lopez butthole like that? Like, I have a direct <laughs> line to him. He, he will not answer. He can see it. He will definitely see it. And the world can see it. Now, every match, um, what's his name? Dustin Brown, speak about the level of racist yes. yeah, yeah, vitriol yeah, yeah. yet every day playing a match in the sticks, right? And, 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 I, mm -hmm. and I can't imagine there is no way a coach can help me to navigate that space by just saying, Yeah, can I turn so hard? Like mm -hmm. it's difficult, it is really crazy, and particularly on top of that, you exist in a world like this. Think of someone like Francis Tierfor trying to navigate a space where Francis Tiafo knows that if he leaves the country club a little too late by himself, he can be stopped and shot. Minding his I mean, that, Yeah, th this is and the issue with that. You're going to need somebody like, who will help you navigate that space other than a regular coach. I, well, I think you... Hold I, on, I, Mills. What, what's that, Howard? Go ahead, Howard. What, what, I, what I was going to say was 
<clears throat> as we go around and it doesn't feel, so it doesn't feel totally circular, there's a part of me that has real fatalism about this entire conversation. Um, because the one part of it that I thought, you know, we were trying to get to, and each time we sort of get to it, we hit that sort of, that, that piece of fatalism is, how do you change this culture? That the culture clearly has to change, that, there's, that what we're really talking about here is that, I mean, I was thinking while Reels was talking, I was thinking, why don't I cover NASCAR? I don't cover NASCAR because that shit is hostile. I don't want to be mm -hmm. around those mm -hmm. people, right? Why don't I cover, I mean, even the NHL, right? And I love hockey. I'm a huge hockey fan. I'm not covering the NHL. Why? Because deep down, that backdrop does not make me feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if you are a tennis player and especially like one of the things Art used to tell me when he was talking about coming up, he's like, well, you know, brothers always thought it was a sissy sport anyway. So the fact that, yep. you know, we didn't get support from other black men playing the game, they're like, well, how come, you know, you're not playing something else. So he said, so the few of us that actually decided to go into tennis had to deal with one, you were going to be against the hostile backdrop. Two, you were going to be um, not necessarily respected as a real athlete by the other black men that you were coming up with who chose other sports. And so we were sort of stuck until we had success. And then like, you know, like after Kobe died, like I remember seeing a, um, a couple of clips when, you know, Novak was hanging out with Kobe. A lot of guys in sports have a great deal of respect for guys in the other sports. But what we haven't seen is we haven't seen the black male tennis superstar. I wonder how the country would react to the Michael Jordan of tennis. If there was a black male who was out there doing Federer things, right? Um, well, you know, it's difficult you, to even consider what that looks like. But, but you, you, you raised the question, but you raised the question here, which I think you're right. Let's come back around to it so we stop, we don't end up in a circle. What how does one move forward? I do think mm -hmm. that we have to think about how the actual players are thriving now who exist in the sport. I don't actually think they're doing well. The sport, yeah. I mean, Nick has said it and others have said it. This sport needs to lean into the team side of it a little bit better. They yeah. need to give players an opportunity to um, be not so isolated. Like one of the things that I think has been really challenging for me when I hear people talk about tennis is they say tennis is this thing, which is really um, associated with white dominant culture. And then there is no interest in shifting that. You're just going to have to deal with the isolation. Why? Well, that's Why right. would you? You don't have to. Well, and to you know, there's no reason for that to actually happen. Right. You can do something differently because you can talk about creating a baseline of support for players so that the ones that are actually there thrive and I actually think, bring that environment in because that also could help the players okay. who are in it actually embrace it and enjoy it. Look at who is breaking through. Let's be honest. The person who's breaking through right now on the, on the men's side is Dominic Team. Is there anything about Dominic Team that suggests to you that you want any other player to imitate that sort of do it alone, dogged, put your head down? There's nothing about his style that is, I mean, There's it's very throwback, exactly, very throwback right? from that era that we've just come up in. I don't think, and, and even Nick says it, you know what, that guy works really, really hard. He deserves that. That's the kind of model that is that is built for the tennis player we don't have other models well, and that's what Pablo just said. problem yeah. for tennis in general 
You've got to get multiple roads to the top. It can't just be the head down, no lay Rafa model. It just cannot yeah. be. Well, think about what Pablo said earlier, right? And think about this conversation combined with what Pablo just said, right? So we're talking about this essentially 50 year environment, you know, with Arthur, you know, um, 52 years open era with Arthur Ashe being the only American to, you know, only American male to win a slam in a Yannick Noah. So you've got four black men who have won, you've got four black, let me say it the right way. You've got four slams won by somebody black. Arthur had three, Yannick Noah had one, right? So think about that. And then to Pablo's point of, we are in an environment that's even more hostile now where the racism and the nationalism across the country and across the world is actually rising. And then when you think about it from a black male standpoint in the United States, this country is completely torn apart racially. It's completely torn apart in mm -hmm. terms of the nationalism. And yet we cover this sport completely nationalistically. So where does that leave the black male playing in the United States? It's in a horrible place. So I want to... I think that the only way, still two things need to happen. Right now, we don't have a bank of ex-black tennis players to pull from to even guide the people that are there today. But However, we do, I we think they're there. They're there. They're just not being tapped. Oh, by the way, quickly right there, that reminds me of something. So after George Floyd gets killed, right? And now all of a sudden racism exists to people. Um, so the phone rings. And of course, ESPN is going out of its way now because now suddenly everybody is involved. It's Patrick McEnroe, you know? Hi, Patrick, what do you want to talk about? So he calls me and we have this conversation and he's telling me about, you know, I want you to come on my podcast. I'm like, great, okay, Patrick, how many times have you ever asked me to come on your podcast and talk tennis? Um, and Patrick and I, you know, have a good relationship. And it was a great conversation in some ways where he was talking about trying to tap into people. But I also want to make sure that I'm not, you know, being, you know, condescending because, you know, Zena and Mal and all these folks that, you know, we sort of came up with. We all, you know, I don't want to feel like I'm patronizing them. And I was like, Patrick, call them and then call them again and then call them again. And they won't feel patronized if you bring them into the rotation and cultivate mm -hmm. them as partners. But if you only call them after Jacob Blake gets shot in the back, it is patronizing. So to right. Real's point about this group being out there, everybody knows they're out there. Well, but when I say they're not there, we don't have a superstar. We don't, that's what I mean. I don't mean that we don't have a black tennis community. It's there. Do we need to tap into that? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I'm talking about, we don't have a very recent black male or female to help mentor the people on tour right now Sorry, at the status. Well, all right. Uh, okay. Hold on, okay. hold on. Take, take Let me that. finish. Okay. No, no, no. Let me finish. finish. We don't have somebody at the status level of Serena or Venus, the people that are playing right now. We don't have a black man to go talk to Francis at the level of a LeBron, a Kobe, we do not have that. It doesn't exist. So my point was, I hope that the people who are there, yes, tap into them, bring them into the circle, let them mentor the people who are on tour right now. But my biggest hope is that the people who are at the top now, the Serena, the Venus, is that they don't walk away from tennis when they're done. I hope that they stay involved and I hope that they are part of some tour part of mentoring younger black players to teach them 
firsthand how to navigate this system when you have that level of stardom. Because it's one thing to be black on tour. It's different to be a superstar and be black. It comes with a whole nother list, all, all this other baggage. And yeah. we don't want to talk about that, but okay. that's the truth. But let, let's take that point and go back to what Andrew just asked about what can we do practically speaking we may not have black tennis players who retired and who won many slams although there are i think there are plenty of female retired black players who can help out here on the male and female side but you can start with infrastructure so an idea might be you something like the moritoglu academy you have one you put it in wherever that's convenient for players in the States and within the continental USA. And it takes on that, I don't know, the vibe of that's the place where these players will come and there, at least there will be infrastructure, possibly better training facilities in one place, um, access to coaching or to mentoring or to, to whatever. But where you can't pull in the talent immediately, at least you can put down the bedrock of something. And what you also need, too, and what we don't know, and I think it's a good story to find out, which might be my next project, is how much are the Moas and the Momoas and the the Monfis and the Sangas and the FAAs and the Donald Youngs all talking to each other? Um, I mean, it seems like it was kind of rare. They, they were they were they right. weren't they last summer there was some sort of network that was going on because with yeah, that, Monfils, um, said, Monfils told me in DC that one of the reasons he comes to DC is for black people. He goes, exactly. it's the only tournament in the country where I can actually see a lot of black people in the crowd and be in, involved in a black environment while I'm playing. And they love him for it. So my sense of it too, let's and this is another part of it that we don't talk about. We don't talk about the fact about we don't talk about the black people who end up in white majority spaces and who that is and how difficult it can be to create a community. Because I think those environments really attract people who believe in going it alone. Well, you're and, to. Right? And you're taught to, and that you're encouraged to do that. And when you're trying to bring anyone else along, like even the video that happened last summer, post-George Floyd, yeah, I believe that was the very first time that even brought everyone together as a group. Their shared identity. No, no doubt, no doubt. And then the other thing is too, is that one one thing is we, we know how our people are sometimes is that then you start looking in these white spaces at one other black person and instead of cultivating them, you look at them as the threat. What are you here to take my spot? So yep. you have to actually well, yep. create that is very much between that group. Between that yep. group. Well, I think what Pablo was mentioning is a pretty, because it's, it is what it exists before um, when tenants was fully sort of quote unquote integrated. When this other system that um, Althea Gibson and Arthur Ashe came out of, and, and even some like Chandra Rubin and Benny, um, her coach Benny, that there was a network that they can talk to and help them. And there was actually a circuit. There was actually a black tennis circuit where they went around and played maybe the backyard classic and whatever. But they went. They, they knew. They knew which towns to go to, which group. And but there was a, a thriving middle class that was behind of that. So you're gonna need dineros for this sort of thing. But I think it is that sort of place would probably be um, the thing that will, I think would work for, in the immediate future, um, even the here and now, that there'd be a sort of a network that is set up where players can just talk. I think um, 
um, I keep thinking about Taylor Townsend. She attempted to do this with Zena Garrison, and people that situation, tennis establishment, dragged that whole relationship. Also, Zena was probably dealing with some things, which was probably not helping. But I think that was a positive move um, in um, helping. I think, that I think you're right. I do think that we can we can also help it. We can also push back a little bit. Like I don't. Hang think on, just on on Taylor on Taylor. Do you remember who was her most vocal critic? McEnroe. But I mean, but but I, yeah. I, that's something I want to add. Paying her too. They were, he's criticizing her. And she was under the well, umbrella. Well, I mean, I think that we can ask those questions, right? Because I think if you think of, if you think about the wider cultural moment, right? Let's just be really forthright about it. Now people feel somewhat comfortable talking about the hostility within these spaces. Because let's be honest, tennis players just don't do it, right? Because you don't want to be that person who gets told who everyone looks and goes, okay, that person talked out of turn and told what was going on. Well, but if I remember correctly, it's all, you know, you're endorsing yeah, that was a big issue. Yeah, right. Because it was a big issue with Donna Young when he went on Twitter. It was a big issue. We noticed like any little comments that happened between Young and Isner. I mean, I think one of the things that would be really nice is if even the people who were covering the tennis more were even more comfortable talking about it. We're more well, and that's what I mean about the change that. and what you've got in the business. And this is problematic. This is where things are going to get more and more problematic. What does, and I don't even know if we're going to, if we even need to be having this conversation because from everything I've been hearing at the, at, at the company, we're getting out of the tennis business anyway. I think that might've been our last Australian open. So I'm wondering if tennis channel is going to be warehousing everything. And oh, so that's the case, then they need, they definitely need their implicit bias training on staff. No, no doubt, right? So anyway, well, first so, of all, first of all, they need a training to tell them that they're gonna need training, and that's, that's gonna right. be the problem. <laughs> because yeah. I mean, literally, you had John Wertheim and Martina Navratilova said, "Man, one man, woman, diversity," right there. Right. Well, that is I the mean, diversity. All they have to do. Listen, first of all, let's just start out. Just go with representational diversity. Look around and go. The numbers ain't right. Start there. And then second of all, do the d deep dive diversity in how you talk about players and being really sensitive about that. Because you know what? They can learn. Chrissy learned how to do that because Chrissy learned how to talk about matches in a particular way around gender and feminism. She learned it. It's possible. Yeah, and so Sinclair, they don't even want to hear it. Yeah, right. Exactly. Right. So this is the thing for, I mean, I think there are many places where we can push on those questions and issues, but we cannot pretend that tennis is, is a white sport and that that whiteness doesn't mean things. And, and, it, and it cannot be changed. Yeah. Because well, I, I, mean, I think, we, I, I well, think listen, that has to be, I, I think we have to, because I think so often, um, like, unlike many things, not just in tennis and not just with, I think we have to reimagine the space in which we are in and, and to understand one of the things that COVID taught us is that this idea that we are going back to normal, we want normal to begin with. We want in a good place to begin with. And whether or not COVID, you know, co prior to COVID, we had issues and issues that needed to be changed and rectified. And I think that tennis has to accept that, which is the difficult part. Um, in and of itself, they have to accept that for the for the black male player. I think in this space, and for the black player on in a whole, they're gonna need support. And I think it's support that I don't. I think the current tennis administration <laughs> and establishment cannot provide. And, and Janina, go for it, Janina. What's your final roundup of this topic, and then we can 
Well, I was just going to say that, you know, we're going to wrap it up. We honestly. But I'm going to be nice and give you, give each of us a, a chance to say our final pieces about it. Well, my final thought is that, you know, there's a lot of work to do, but you have to have somebody willing to even start putting in that work. And I don't know if tennis has that. I really don't. Um, I am more hopeful for the next generation, given the crop of players that we have now, than I am of people stepping in because they could have always done that. So, and, and it's not happening. So I'm hoping that um, the conversation becomes bigger and louder and come for our next generation. They have a true support system to change things. Pablo? It's not tomorrow too. I'm don't mind. It's not tomorrow. <laughs> Pablo? I think this is an ongoing discussion. Um, yep. It's very difficult to make headway when, like I say, the basic infrastructure or a historical narrative of successful black men at the higher echelon of tennis isn't there yet. And I hope that that changes quickly. I would put my money on Felix. I wanted to say something about Felix. We've been hard on him, I think, last week. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, for he, he's, he's got to hang on, hang on, hang on, dear. <laughs> he's got to finals and he's flunked in the finals. Mm -hmm. And I just realized he's a kid. Yeah. And he'll get there. He's what, 19? He's young. I can't, you can't imagine what I was like at 19. <laughs> so, Seven finals um, at 19 is doing something. It is, isn't it? And he will get there. And I hope that he's the the kid that breaks through and starts taking other people on. I think he has the game, and I hope he develops that the hunger at the level that's required. That would be inspirational. Howard, but, Howard? but yeah, my my thought is is that it 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 is really interesting that as much as we say we don't want to, we always do still have to come back to it. You need a star. Somebody has got to be. You need a tiger, yep. even though Tiger didn't quite do what he did, but you need a tiger. You need somebody to make people watch this sport differently. You know, are you watching the sport or are you watching him? And right now there has never been a real him because even when there was Arthur, that was in the middle of Borg and Connors and the rest of it. So Arthur wasn't yep. the guy. He was a guy who was very, very good. Um, I feel, I was just gonna say, I feel like, I feel like absolutely it's ongoing. And I, the biggest issue that I have with it is, is that I still feel like these conversations are not viewed as our problem by the tennis establishment. I think it's viewed as their problem that they're going to bring to us. Mm -hmm. And so until, until these federations and until there's, until there's some breakthrough where they recognize, and usually it's going to be loss of money. It's going to be Federer, Nadal, Djokovic all disappearing and realizing, you know what, we don't have anybody. Um, the need to cultivate some new change. I agree with Gina completely that you need a new generation of people talking differently, speaking differently, caring about different things that is going to um, create you know, a new pathway. But more than anything else, we need a baller. You need somebody who can play. Yep. All right. And that's that on that. Um, I think I said my piece about that piece, which is I really actually think from a baseline perspective, tennis just needs to be different. I really only see one model towards greatness here. And it's not a model I love. 
I don't need another Djokovic Nadal type of tennis player. I'd like someone plays fast, quick, fun, lighthearted, a little cheeky. You know, there's no path for that person in tennis. Um, and be nice to see that. Like everyone has to be a grinder and a little bit bullish. And I dare say, I don't really know. I mean, even just thinking about black players in other sports, just that's just not them. That's not been the way that they've done it. There's been a lot of creativity, um, a lot of guile. Yes, hardworking, but not the not the way that I don't know. I just I don't I don't see that aligning very well. So I would like to see what that looks like. Um, and maybe you know maybe I'm coming off of the Nick Curios thing, but I'd love to see a sport that could have actually held somebody like him. And I don't want the usual, but he doesn't work hard enough, motherfuckers. He works hard enough, okay? They don't have to break their bodies for 20 hours. I just, I think it would be really nice to for see. Wrong one <laughs> for every yeah, round, right? like just, yeah, whatever. But I mean, but that's the thing, though. But this is the this is the narrative we talk about all the time in this sport. Everyone has to come at the sport like Djokovic does. Even Djokovic's colleagues used to say that the Djokovic we knew is not the same Djokovic. He had to become somebody different to be number one in this sport. And they still don't like his ass. And it's still kind of boring. But I mean, like, but to to each his own. But I'm just saying, you know, there. I I think we could we could em embrace multiple models in tennis. I don't see it. <laughs> <laughs> the women's side has it. There are lots you know, of different ways um, to be there. I can't believe I'm going to say this quickly as I leave. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but because I'm completely against what I'm about to say. But if you, <laughs> but if you want a quicker, faster, sleeker, different style of game, then get rid of five sets. No, no, no! Don't mm. go there. Well, I mean, no, because Howard, don't you take us down that road. I know. Because, because they're not winning masters anyway. They're not winning masters. Sacre bleu. You know what? Can we just strike what I just said? Just strike it and go. It's clear the strain of a two-hour, three-hour pod. is. You know, I've only been on an hour and 44 minutes. The strain is starting to show. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I'm going to let Ben know you said that by the way. All right, everybody Please. say goodbye. No, this has no. been lots of There's no obsession with Nick Curious. What we're obsessed, what we're obsessed with is the is an environment that can hold him. That's all we're talking about. You all love an environment that breaks people. Uh, hang on a second. I, I, I think we're gonna need I, last word, last word, last word on NK. I love him. But it's I think not about he's terrific. Yes, it's not about uh, hang on. Last last word on him. I love him. He's terrific for the sport. He can take on anybody and win. Uh, he's great to watch. But he said himself he doesn't really like it. And I accept he, that. He's a punk. He's kind of a punk. So I don't expect him. Yeah, and that's okay. fine. And nobody's expecting anything. And whoever marks yes. her in the chat, we need to. Nobody is saying. First of all, you established that tennis is not a racist sport, which means I don't understand what you're talking about because every sport has racism in it. So I'm not sure what you're doing. The other piece is we are not saying that players should not work hard. That in and of itself is racist. That's not what we're saying. But what we're talking about are multiple ways to find success in tennis. And none of those ways have required us to say that people should not work hard. That is not what we are talking about at all. 
Um, you completely misunderstood what we were saying. Um, no one is making any of those claims that Serena and Venus do not work hard. Um, what we're talking about are multiple pathways to do this well and hoping that people have opportunities to experience success, top 50 player, top 100 player, and it's not just about slams. I just want to add that um, in our closing word, because I know Janina is like, you know, saying thank you, Howard, for being on our show. And as always, you bring amazing insight. Um, but we have been here for like two and a quarter, three quarter hours. Yep. But I just want to add that um, maybe Was one it of the things. Longer than the men's final? <laughs> <laughs> Surely. I mean, after 45 minutes, it was longer. Oh, just, shit. you know. Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> I just want to say that. Um, I think one of the things, in addition to what Pablo sort of um, mentioned about there being like an actual physical space, like a center or whatever, an arena, academy, etc. I think you're going to need someone to run interference because I think one of the reasons why um, Venus and Serena is successful or thrived within the system, thrive, um, or able to find success, I should say, whether they thrive because if they were white players, they would have been owned the whole world by now, is that they had a parent who basically took the brunt of the situation and demanded change and, and you know, pointed out the, 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 the problems and the issues. And I think you're going to need that. You're going to need someone who's in the space. And if someone is going to run them out and do that, I think eventually, like Janina points out, you're going to need that star to back it up because you don't want to come off like a blowhard, like, you know, he's just talking and no one's really doing it. So it's going to be a combination of things. Um, it's possible. It's not impossible. I just think it's going to be very difficult considering the climate. And there really is no um, willingness to change anything. And it's not just a culture that tennis is facing, but we know in, in even other world places, you know, how diversity works in most places. Um, so, yes. Thank you, Maya. It was a fascinating discussion. Um, Oh my God. Congratulations Mark, to the winner. Mark, you're gonna have to read some um and credit oh Reels um also to credit his point. Um you made a lot of excellent point in the chat. Oh listen um, guys, you know you've go. arrived. You know you've <laughs> arrived whenever chat is attracting trolls. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just the, the the idea that only one single pathway should work seems strange mm -hmm. to me. Why wouldn't That's you very silly. But it, but but it's it's not but just. It, not even it, no no no! Don't do it! Don't do it! Don't yeah. do it! Don't no, do I mean, it. Okay, but I just think it, it's it's an interesting narrative. Like one way to live life, one way to win a match. There should be multiple ways to yeah. win. And we're not even talking about winning a match. We're talking about thriving. Just in being in a comfortable environment at your workplace, not having yeah. to be with all this drama. Someone Maya has said goodbye like three times. Yes, okay. Maya, bye. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Because right. they're delay. So this is a wonderful thing. Thank you so much, Maya, Maya for coming Maya. back and dealing with us. Maya is very subtle with her hints. I know. Very. Um, <laughs> Mar no, no, but let's be honest. Mar we do not think of you as a troll, but we, we probably just think you misunderstood. So what we are talking mm -hmm. about is how do we create an environment for folks to feel like they can be their full selves and, and still um, and we don't know what that looks like yet in tennis. Um, and so we'll see. At the most successful thus far per reels is Delpo, and his body's been bro broken beyond repair. <laughs> <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> All right, guys. I think what would, help, what would help is if Nadal and Djokovic retire. That would definitely okay, help okay, me okay. for sure. Congratulations to the winners of the Australian Open, Naomi yes. Osaka. Osaka. And, yes. uh, Thanks for keeping our Black History Month theme going. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. And Novak Djokovic um, for getting to number 18, a number mm-hmm. that no longer means anything because you're you're chasing 22 or whatever. I mean, Martina got 15, boo. You got to chase Martina <laughs> never had to live over 15 ages. So. I mean, wow, the numbers right. keep changing. The numbers keep changing. No, no, one, no one talks about Mo Connolly. <laughs> exactly. And the Mo Society thinks it's embarrassing. And, and uh, so. Thank you all. Um, oh, Jesus. Thank you, guys. Sorry, we, we Delpo. No last second dig on Delpo. Oh, we really, truly honor Delpo because Delpo proves that tennis is actually a sport and not just a plaything for the top four. I mean, like injuries <laughs> are real. That injuries are yeah, real. like like Novak's abdominal tear on that night. It's been a great Australian and Del- Open. And, and Delpo, um, oh, we missed Delpo for you. Okay, that's all I'm. Oh no, we didn't. Thank I didn't miss him at all. I know, but congratulations. You know, I I didn't even know. Congratulations on them actually having a crowd for those finals. It was nice to see. Yeah, yeah. I hope that the country doesn't explode with COVID as a Let result. You a secret. At first, I didn't think they were real. I thought it was a, a soundtrack. It was <laughs> at some point. <laughs> for a long time. I did. I said, Wait a minute. It's like. These people are real. They're really there. Like, you know, I thought it was like an image at first. I'm just like, wait, this, this because you know, at times the, the, the fake track that they had was always off. It won't get it quite right. Like, and then I'm yeah. just like, this, this seemed kind of intelligent. Like, it's an intelligent life in the crowd. I mean, like, these boxes are kind of rowdy. Then I realized, wait, no. They're real? people. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to go. It's been lovely. Take care. Janina has been telling us to leave, and we're going to leave. Not to be a mother. You know how we know we're a mother. Sing us off, Janina. <laughs> Sing us off. <laughs> wait. You are, I can't. Janina, you missed me. You listen, after all that, my phone died. <laughs> I've got nothing, okay? It has been depleted, as have I. <laughs> I love you. I love you all so much. This has been wonderful. Wonderful. Um, this podcast you. will be out later tonight or tomorrow, whenever it gets formatted, because this has been like a this is like a Wagnerian. And you're making right it now. longer. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. Yeah. Right of the Valkyrie. Ciao. <laughs> Bye, Bye all. Got to, got to